you. <laughs> yeah. I know. Good evening, everyone. Let's uh, get started with our regularly scheduled Planning Commission meeting for Wednesday, July 26th. Madam Clerk, would you please take the roll? Commissioner Abbey? Here. Commissioner Busa? Here. Commissioner Farley is absent. Commissioner McCarty is absent. Commissioner Zucker? Here. Vice Chair Lagerquist? Here. Chair Comden? Here. Thank you. All right, let's uh, go to public communication, which is the time set aside during the commi uh, committee meetings for members of the public to address the committee on planning-related business other than scheduled agenda items. Madam Clerk, do we have any speakers today? We have two public speakers. The first speaker is Pete Freeman, followed by Bob Guthrie. Very good. Welcome, Mr. Freeman. Howdy. Don't let me forget that, because I'll walk away. Uh, good evening, commissioners and staff. In August, you will be receiving the large and comprehensive general plan land use element. This is the plan that the General Plan Team and General Plan Advisory Committee have been working on for the last 18 months. You'll be asked to understand, deliberate on, and possibly recommend the entire plan in one night and on an agenda that may contain other items. I suggest you break this up into three separate meetings and address the nine separate areas of the plan in smaller meetings. This would give you the necessary time to fully understand what is being presented and to make a fully educated and thought out decision. And remember, the housing element, unlike the housing element, there is no deadline for the general plan. 
This is something that will guide our city for the next 25 plus years. So let's take the time to make sure we get it right. Taking this in smaller bites as opposed to one big mouthful was something suggested by Commissioner Abbey and Chair Comden at your June 21st meeting. You could possibly be attempting to address a year and a half's work by multiple groups in one night. So by divvying it up, you can take the pressure off yourselves and trying to swallow the whole plan in one sitting and which in addition could give the public more opportunity for input. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Bob Guthrie. I'll be extremely brief. I'm just gonna basically say the same thing Pete did. Um, having taken the land use survey, it's, it's pretty comprehensive. There's a lot of detail there and you can spend many, many hours on it. So trying to do that all in one night, I think it's, it's nine different sections. It, the first section, the second section, your attention will be good on, but if you're the fourth or fifth or ninth section, you're gonna be so tired that you just can't give it the, the justice that it deserves. So I just basically uh, suggest multiple meetings as well. Thank you. Thank you. All right, any other speakers? Chair Comden, that concludes our speakers. All right, very good. Let's move to consent items. The approval of the Planning Commission meeting minutes from June 21st. Has everyone had a chance to review? Any comments or does someone approve to move? Chair, uh, Vice Chair? Yes, um, I think it says that the eyes for the Planning Commission meeting of May 24th included myself, but I was absent for that meeting. I just wanted to clarify that. All right, any other changes, recommendations? Does anyone move to approve? I'd like to move that item. Okay, Commissioner, second? Second. Very good, first and second. Are we voting on screen? Yes, we are. And just a reminder to lock in your votes. That motion carries three, three votes for two abstains. All right, very good. Let's move on to our formal items. Project 14939, the Guthrie residence. Staff, do you have a presentation you'd like to jump into? Uh, yes. Right. Good evening, Chair and members of the uh, Planning Commission. My name is Jamie Peltier, Principal Planner, and I am presenting the Guthrie Residence um, located at, on Bath Lane, Project 14939. The subject site is located in the coastal zone and subject to the standards of the 1989 Comprehensive Plan containing a local coastal program, which enforces the Coastal Act. Um, it's also located in the FEMA flood zone and the two-family beach residential zone. The site's located in the Pierpont community area known as the Lanes, um, and it's the last lot seen in the red box in the aerial. Uh, along that beach side of the property, there is city right-of-way known as Shore Drive. The 3,549 square foot lot is vacant and has not been developed before. Within this neighborhood, the character consists of an eclectic architectural style of single-family and two-family residential um, units, ranging in heights from one story to 
um, approximately 12 feet to two and a half stories at 30 feet. The project uh, would fit within that context, proposing a two and a half story residence. Here are some images of the surrounding property along Bath Lane showing the public access, the beaches, um, some habitat, and other neighboring residences within the area on Bath Lane. Some background to the project. Uh, the project was originally proposed to go to a hearing in December 2021. Um, at that time, the Coastal Commission provided a comment letter on the, sub on the project. Um, subsequently, over the last year and a half, the applicant has done and provided additional studies to address those comments. So the proposed project tonight is um, consists of developing a vacant lot within the residential two-family beach zoning district with a 3,741 square foot single-family residence. The first floor will mostly be unhabitable space with a garage and storage area, um, also room for laundry and a stair um, area to go up to the main level. The second floor will be in the main living area and the half third floor uh, contains bedroom and a rooftop deck. The site improvements include grading, sand removal, a site wall along shore drive, paving, driveway, and some landscaping. Here are some elevations of the project. The two-family beach zoning allows for one or two single-family residents residences uh, that meet the following development standards. The proposed project is for one single-family residence. Uh, the site is approximately 3,500 square feet and proposes a residence that meets those development standards as seen in the table. With the exception of the street sides, side yard setback facing Shore Drive, this right-of-way would make this lot a corner lot so the applicant has requested a variance from the um, side yard setback, which would result in a setback of four feet three inches. Uh, the project exhibits consistency with what would have been an interior law if Shore Drive didn't exist. Proposing the four feet three inches is 10%, which is normally allowed for other interior lots. The site, the project was analyzed for environmentally sensitive habitat area, known as ESHA. As the site is near other potential habitat and dune formations along the Pierpont Beach area. As seen in the image, the dune system appears to be seen up and down the Pierpont coastline. ESHA is defined as any area in which a plant or animal or their habitats are either rare or especially valuable because of the special nature or role in an ecosystem and which could easily be disturbed or degraded by human activities and development. The goal of the Local Coastal Program and Coastal Act is the protection of ESHA against any significant disruption of those habitat values. The Coastal Act states development areas adjacent to ESHA and parks and recreation areas shall be cited and designed to prevent impacts which would significantly degrade those areas and shall be compatible with the continuance of those habitat and recreation areas. The development site uh, as a approximately 3,500 square foot lot 
um, is a fraction of the area um, that runs along the Pierpont area. Um, although it hasn't been fully surveyed up and down Pierpont Beach, but there are other dune systems along that beach area. And the siting of the house is designed to mitigate the impacts and to the maximum extent feasible. So outside of the property will remain intact and the conditions of those areas um, will remain just as they are. There are additional conditions of approval that have been added to um, mitigate any potential impacts from the development, um, such as to just stay on the subject property, remove any invasive species, and replant native plants with the help of a qualified biologist. In addition to the ESHA studies um, in response to the California Coastal Commission comment letter, the applicant submitted a wave run-up sea level rise and coastal haz hazard study conducted by GeoSoils, Geo Inc. The study used sea level rise guidance from the state of California in 2018, as indicated um, by the Coastal Commission. The study breaks down the analysis of historical data, sea level rise, hazards, such as storms and wave run-up um, to meet the five-step procedure from the guidance um, in the handbook, as seen on the PowerPoint here. Um, <clears throat> the conclusions from the report are as follows. The report indicated that if wave run-up were to reach the site, the proposed pile foundation, as required by the FEMA flood zone, an elevation of the habitable finish floor will prevent, prevent wave run-up damage. It is unlikely that the shoreline will erode back to the site based upon historical shoreline movement trends, even in the consideration of sea level rise. The coastal hazards of wave run-up and flooding may impact the site over the design of the uh, over the design of the life of the project with a 6.1 feet of sea level rise. The impacts of those from those hazards are mitigated by the design of the structure. Wave run-up can flow beneath the pile-supported structure, and the finished floor elevation of the living area is at 23.45 feet, and is well above the flooding elevation for sea level rise. Um, the study almost all uh, also said that we reviewed the plans and determined that the proposed development is designed to mitigate um, and potential, any potential hazards in consideration of sea level rise. In addition, the FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency, regulations also apply to the site as it's in the FEMA um, floodplain zone. And the proposed finished floor elevation will be at 23 or five feet and set on concrete caissons above the flooding elevation. In addition, stucco breakaway panels and relief vents line the building perimeter that will give away during high tide or storm events. These act as walls and aren't like fencing materials, um, which will be seen in the image here. <clears throat> Additionally, there will be a wall constructed along Shore Drive that will also meet FEMA standards to break away during storm events. The wall will allow to 
allow the site to better manage the sand and also provide on-site parking. The site being at the end of Bath Lane, directly adjacent to the stairs for public beach access, has been conditioned in the conditions of approval to ensure adequate access is available during construction. The lanes are known to be narrow, no parking, and don't provide much movability, so the conditions are very important. Um, the slot's particularly challenging um, given those, those um, circumstances, and those that will be working on the site would be required to park elsewhere since there's no public parking. Um, one condition in the resolution to address the issue is that work areas ingress and egress would be reduced to the maximum extent feasible and stage, staging areas to be located on site to avoid blocking or interfering with the beach access. The proposed project complies with the policies in the 1989 comp plan and for the coastal zone um, properties, including some of the policies as you see on the screen. Um, policy 3.1 addresses floodplain regulations, policy 7.6 for beach access, and policy 12.2 to address the ASHA impacts. So through several rounds of studies and reviews conducted for biological resources, FEMA, sea level rise, wave run-up, and structural integrity to minimize risks to life and property in the area of high geological flood, um, flood and hazard, these policy ha policies have been met, which also address some of the comments from the Coastal Commission. After further review and analysis, the proposed project meets the LCP R2B um, zoning standards and other regulations such as FEMA, and staff recommends that the Planning Commission approve the Coastal Development Permit and variance as condition. This concludes staff's presentation. Thank you, Jamie. Two things, commissioners. Um, do any of you have any uh, ex parte communication to report out? Okay, secondarily, if you request to speak, use the magic box here because we're so far away, I may not see your hand gestures. All right, do we have questions for staff at this time? Commissioner Abbey. Thank you, Jamie. Um, I had a question, I have more than one question. Some of my questions I want to wait till after the public speaks. But on the breakaway stucco panels, so they're designed to give away in the, in the event that the waves come up high and, and obviously the second level, which is, starts where the livable area is, is up at 23 feet. So if there's a bad storm and, it, and the uh, yard panel is hit, uh, it'll break away. Now, what happens with that breakaway panel? Can that, would that cause, potentially cause damage to the uh, property adjacent to it? Or would the mere fact that you've got a wave that that's big, that's already inundating the area, uh, you know, what would be the comparison of the damage? I think the applicant could probably provide more information about how it's constructed and what that looks like um, when it would um, come into contact with a, a, a heavy storm. Um, the idea is, though, that the breakaway panels, it would 
would still require such force for it to completely be removed from the site. So, but again, I think the applicant could probably give more information about the construction details. Okay, thank you, Jamie. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Busa. Uh, you did mention uh, during your presentation the, the narrowness of the lanes, um, particularly Bath Lane, and I wanna be uh, respectful of our public comment here. Um, it, in, is there, can we condition the work, the trucks and works to workers to park elsewhere? Are they, is it fully conditioned to say they must park outside a bath lane? Like, to be very clear and specific about that. If the planning commission chooses to add a condition, you can. Um, however, I would say though that this, there, there are a lot of homes under construction in the coastal zone. Um, there's a lot of construction going on in general, whether it's a remodel, new home, or additions. So conditioning this project, um, just be aware that there are other projects also going on within the area. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Zucker. Two questions. Um, one is about the, the Coastal Commission, and, and so I believe this was continued from a previous meeting, right? We had a, had a letter from the Coastal Commission um, has there been communication from the Coastal Commission since? Um, you know, are they satisfied with the, you know, the, the kind of updates to this project, or is it kind of a no news is good news, if we don't hear from them, they're okay? I did not receive any comment letter from the Coastal Commission right now. This is in the appealable jurisdiction, so Coastal Commission does have the right to appeal a project. Um, my second question is about Shore Drive. I, I know that was referenced in some of the comments, uh, you know, as well as the staff report. Um, uh, I, I just wasn't even aware of that as a as a street. I mean, it's you know, it's not on the map. It's it's not on Google Maps. It's I looked at our at our city's zoning map. It's not there, right? Um, what is Shore Drive? I mean, was that formerly a street that was kind of taken over by sand? Is it is it just kind of a theoretical street? Uh, what's yeah, so there are utilities in this right-of-way. Um, it's not anticipated to become a street, um, but there are utilities within this area that the city maintains. Um, so that's why you don't see it on the maps. It's not an actual street, and it's not anticipated to be one. Okay, so it's just something kind of created for, for utility lines to run there, but, but there's no... Kind of plans uh, that have yeah, I'm not sure the yeah, I'm not sure the history of of Shore Drive exactly. Um, I'm not sure if Netta knows anything about Shore Drive, but um, it it was it's really, to my knowledge, just for utilities. The um, so it is a public right of way. Um, uh, most often, our public utilities are in public right-of-ways and to service that side of the street. They do have the right-of-way where they're running those utilities, and the city would man maintain that as a public right-of-way so that at any time it would have access. Um, as Ms. Peltier referenced, um, the Transportation Department doesn't anticipate building out Shore Drive. As you're aware of the complications with Coastal Commission and um, moving sand and ESHA in that area, it would probably be very challenging at this time to, to build out a public street there. However, um, the right-of-way will remain under city um, control. Very helpful. Thank you. Vice Chair Lagerquist. Um, to continue the questions about Shore Drive, 
and, and in response to the, the letter we received today, um, if the city decided to build it out in some way, would that encroachment, the variance, affect that? Like, even if they, you know, if they proposed to put in a boardwalk, or if the city, by some weird whim, decided to put a road there, does that affect that encroachment, that variance, or vice versa? So setbacks from public streets and public right-of-ways are setbacks that are established by the city. And so um, the, the indication of a 10-foot setback, there's oftentimes that you see five-foot setbacks, um, is really a figure and number that we select. And so 10 feet was established as a setback on Shore Drive. That doesn't mean that a set, setback could be greater or less from a public street um, if the regulations allowed so. Um, I believe indicating in the staff report in the presentation, the built pattern along that shore drive frontage does have those reduced setbacks for other properties. So this wouldn't be a different pattern than what's there. Uh, the, the Planning Commission can deny the variance and do the 10 foot setback. And in the future, if shore drive was built, we would still have homes that are in a closer proximity to shore drive than the 10 feet. Okay, and that actually leads to my second question, which is do we have a count on, do we have a count <laughs> on how many properties are, do you have the uh, similar variants? I did preliminary research and um, there are a lot. I went, I started up at the top up at, um, I'm forgetting the name, San Pedro, all the way down to where Marina Park is. Um, I think I got about halfway through, and of those, 70% of them had that side yard setback. Um, don't quote me on those numbers, though, but a lot of them do. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, the four-and-a-half-foot setback would be on the adjacent property, and the code calls for a 10-foot? Uh, no, the 10 foot is along the setback from Shore Drive. From Shore. Yeah, on the other side is also four feet three inches. Okay, but uh, the code calls for what? For which one? On the uh, interior one. Oh, interior? Call? Four three. Okay, that's code. Yeah, 10% of the lot 10%. width. Mm -hmm. okay, very good. Um, you showed a slide that uh, I wanted to explore, it, it showed a 75 year lifespan. Um, and can you explain what that means, point number two on this slide? Sure. So in the coastal hazard and sea level rise study um, conducted by the engineer, um, that was the estimated time frame for the life of the structure. Um, I think that's very typical for single-family residences and how they do the analysis when it comes to um, the sea level rise. Okay. Yeah, I think this is the first one that we as a commission have seen on the beachfront uh, proposing to be built, and uh, we'll talk about that more later. Um, as far as the sand, and I mentioned this with uh, Netta yesterday, this seems to be that um, 800 yards of sand are going to be relocated to Simi Valley, which doesn't seem like a very good carbon footprint. Um, doesn't the city have some method of using it for golf courses or some other remedial way to 
use sand as opposed to shipping it out of town? The sand that will be removed from the site, if you were to place it anywhere within the coastal zone, would also require a coastal development permit. Um, currently, the city does remove sand from the right-of-ways along the lanes, and that sand is not placed within the coastal zone and is housed out of the coastal zone currently while the city goes through the process to find locations along the beaches or um, different areas within the coastal zone. So it would also have to go through a public hearing process and work with Coastal Commission to address the sand within the coastal zone, um, but to remove the sand and have someone else use it, um, the, the city has sand that they also are finding homes for as well. Yeah, okay, thank you. Did you wanna add something? Just to uh, elaborate on that, this city is working on a beach management plan, a comprehensive beach management plan um, that does need to be worked through with the Coastal Commission for our own beach management and sand removal and replacement. Um, that is a lengthy process to go through with the Coastal Commission. Um, and as Ms. Peltier sa said, until that time, we are putting sand elsewhere until it can be properly mitigated. Okay, thank you. All right, other questions for staff? Commissioner. Um, we had a project uh, last uh, planning commission uh, where the condition was for dark sky compliant lighting. Um, tonight we have, and uh, Commissioner McCarty uh, uh, suggested that and we included that in that proposal. Would that be something that we could do uh, to make condition number 22 regarding lighting a little bit stronger? Com Commissioner Abbey, um, that would be incumbent on the applicant agreeing to that condition. Right now, we do not have any regulations in the city that require di dark sky compliance. And so that would be, the, the planning commission can add that condition, but the applicant would have to agree to that. All right, other questions? All right, very good. Let's open up the uh, public meeting. Madam Clerk, do we have speakers on this topic? Chair Compton, we do have public speakers. Our first speaker is Robert Myman, followed by Deborah Myman. All right. Hi there, thank you for uh, the opportunity to, to uh, be heard. Um, we uh, live on Bath Lane. We've been there since the, uh, well, live in LA and Bath Lane where I work, um, but we've been coming up here since the early 80s. And um, so we welcome the Guthries to our street and hope that they can uh, figure out how to do this. I have two things. One is that because my view will be mostly obliterated by the house, which I understand and accept, I'd like to keep the trees at a low enough level so that they don't add to the uh, little, uh, to obliterate the little bit of light that I will still have that way. But the main thing that I think you should really seriously consider is the sand. There is, that's sand that's on the lot now that you can see in the picture there, which has the green ice plant growing on it, um, came from the lower part of the beach. The wind put it there. And it makes absolutely no sense economically or environmentally to pay to haul it off. It's gonna be a pain for everybody that lives on the block for these, I would guess, hundreds of trucks, loads of, of sand to go down and back. There's no room to turn around 
at the corner, there's at the end of the street where this lot lies, there's absolutely no place to do it. They will have to back in or back out. So, and, and then they're going to haul it somewhere, and we as citizens are going to all pay to put it somewhere else in Simi Valley. It makes no sense. We need the sand on the beach. And again, it got there because of the wind and got pushed up there. It just, we should, as a, I don't know how this all works. I'm just a country lawyer, but if there's a way to stand up to the Coastal Commission or whoever came up with the great idea of hauling it away, we should just say we're not doing it and see what they say. It's, it's, it makes no sense. What doesn't make sense shouldn't make sense. Anyway, thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker is Deborah Myman, followed by Cheryl Heitman. Hi, husband and I share glasses. Um, I live at 1138 Bath Lane, and I am concerned, which was addressed here, about the construction vehicles. Most of us park our cars on our driveways. There is no room for construction trucks, vehicles. There is no way for a large truck to turn around at the end of the block. A house right across from the proposed, well, closer to the beach than ours, was just repainted and they put in new windows. It took about eight weeks. We were completely blocked by construction cars. If we went next door and we asked for somebody to move their truck so we could either get in or get out, they would say, well, they're working. It wouldn't be convenient. This is not right. We live there because we want access to the beach. There is no way for more than for access if there's more than one truck there. So I'm concerned when you say like they'll park off site. Will they really be parking up site out? Could there be somebody there to monitor the situation? So during the build, it's just a frustrating time for all of us. And I think for me that needs to be addressed. Also about Shore Lane. At one point, there was some talk about making that area into a boardwalk for ADA accessibility. So, I mean, that didn't come to anything then but that had been talked about. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Cheryl Heitman, and she'll have six minutes to speak. Her time is being seated by Dennis Heitman. Thank you and good evening, Planning Commission. Nice to see you all. Um, we are talking about, I'm gonna read this mostly because you know I talk very fast, I'll probably read fast, but that's why I gave you all a copy so you'll know what I'm saying. On the issue of the variance requested, we are asking that uh, you, re you deny that request. We object to the granting of variances, especially those based on the premise we've done it before. The building and land use code should apply as written. The arbitrary use of granting the variance, variances leads to confusion and disputes as to which codes will be enforced and which will be waived. The extension allows for an increased building footprint when other properties on the lanes do not have the same options, saying Shore Drive is, ne Shore Drive is never going to be used again should be, co should be codified. When I was a member of the City Council in Ventura, our City Attorney brought up the idea with the Council of codifying Shore Drive but to my knowledge, it has never been acted on. Either it is an abandoned street, or it is, as it is referred to in these documents, or it is not. 
if it is not officially abandoned, then how can the argument be made that the property gets a variance because it's on a corner lot? And by the way, there is, Shore Drive does have, at one point it was a drive. So there is a street under there somewhere. This particular reason for allowing the extension needs to be codified by the governing body and not allowed to just be arbitrarily applied. At some point, and I think it is now, a governing body must take a stand and clear this up legally. It would make sense to deny this variance and move forward with clarifying and taking action on the policy. I remember a similar case when I was on the council and the community development department, not you all, promised to come back with a plan to abandon Shore Drive or not, but to make it official either way. It didn't happen. Saying we will let this move forward uh, and clear it up later doesn't work. One has to take a stand by denying a variance to decide whether to abandon Shore Drive or not. I did make this same argument in a previous case also, so this may seem self-serving since I live next door to the proposed uh, property, but is consistent with my previous actions. During my tenure on the city council, there was a proposal to use Shore Drive as the footprint for a wooden walkway on the beach, as some other communities have done on their beaches. This could also be ADA compliant. If we continue to allow building right next to Shore Drive, this would not be possible should the finances be found for this project. In addition, it appears that the square footage on the plan assumes and includes the proposed variance. In other words, before the decision has been reached by your body, we are looking, you are looking at plans that include the square footage of the house with the variance. Using the variance increases the mass of the structure by approximately 730 feet. And on the question of legless lizard, which is a special concern, which is the state designation instead of endangered species, I have seen their tracks on this property many times. In fact, I do have pictures on the phone if anybody wants to see them, including today. And I did point this out to the biologist when she was out there. She, she didn't see them, and I didn't see them that day either. However, she put a, some kind of a cardboard down that's supposed to help her see them, but all the kids take the cardboard and slide down the sand dunes, which of course, so she, that was not ever going to be successful for her. Um, on the back of the sheet that I gave you, um, we have also some additional concerns and questions that um, weren't able to be sufficiently answered, and so the staff did recommend I bring them up here. Um, there is really little information in the packet regarding the use of caissons, which are required. How many will there be? How will they be constructed? When will they, when, what will be the anticipated impact to our property since we are so close? What kind of equipment is used? How will the truckloads of sand be handled during the sand removal uh, phase on the lane? Is it on the sand? What will the traffic pattern for turnaround of the trucks be? How many days will the phase last, et cetera? So, and and as, as noted in the biologist's report, which you have, which was done for this property, uh, she did recommend that the, that the sand be left on our beach rather than trucking it away to Simi Valley. Um, so you've heard before a couple people say just construction trucks and that whole process is really a nightmare, and it is. And if you haven't experienced it, you don't know. But these lanes are very, very narrow. There's no way to turn around. You have to use some other way to back out or come in or whatever. So we're asking, uh, as a possible condition, we were requesting that there be a traffic plan in depth as to how the sand and construction, sand removal and construction of the house and can it, that be included in your conditions so that we know in detail exactly what the traffic plan is and exactly how that's gonna be handled. And even saying, yes, it's all gonna be done on the property once the sand is removed, that still leaves us with, well, how do we remove the sand? And, and seriously, it's still not gonna be possible to turn around just by doing that. So without using other people's driveways, et cetera. Um, and then also there is a condition in resolution 10 that says that construction is between seven and five, Monday through Friday, 
uh, and on no construction on Saturday or holidays, and we're asking that if you could also put another condition that it not be Saturday, that Saturdays be included with Sundays and holidays, so there'd be no construction on Saturdays or Sundays or holidays. Um, we suffered tremendous hearing loss from the, not tremendous, but some hearing loss from the construction down on the property on the other side of us, which you can see how close they are. So we were asking also as a condition if there could be a plan, a contractor's plan that we can have access to, including changes so we'll know when we need to vacate the property because of the noise so that we don't suffer any hearing loss again, which is very possible when it is. And then also the seawater rise, I know you've addressed that, but the plan, someone on the lane asked me to ask about what is the water diversion plan. He's an engineer and he felt like it had not been adequately addressed. So I'm also asking you for that. So thank you very much for your attention. Thank you, Ms. Heitman. Chair Condon, that concludes our public speakers. All right, very good. I will close the public hearing. Um, the applicant is here and would like to make a presentation. Would you like to come up now? And hopefully you can address some of the, the comments that have been made. Welcome. Good evening. I'm Mark Shelnut. I'm the architect for this project. Um, this is the last oceanfront vacant lot in Pierpont. Uh, it is, however, a standard lot, the same size of every other lot on there. Um, and the 10-foot setback from Shore Drive is based on a corner lot, allowing a car to be able to see around the corner when they pull out onto the street. Now, we know that's not going to happen. Um, so what we're asking on the variance is to have the same setbacks as every other house on the lane, and that's and what we've asked for, the same 10% of width. Um, the size of the house is a little misleading on the original. The actual size is 2343 as actual living square footage. This is only because we cannot put anything on the first floor other than a garage and storage. So the actual living square footage is fairly small for the area. Um, other than that, the house complies with all other zoning requirements. Um, it's allowed 60% on lot coverage, and we don't even really approach that. Um, and it will have cast in place concrete piles because of FEMA. Um, if you go back to, I believe, sheet A2. Uh, that's five, two there. Those round circles on there, those are the concrete piles. There will be 11 or 12 of them. They're 24 inch diameter and they're 30 feet below the street. Um, water table is at six feet. So essentially you're drilling a hole in sand. So there's ways that you do that so that the hole doesn't collapse on you. So it, it's a difficult process, but one that I've done before. I did the very first one down there three years ago. Um, I have a photo of it if you anyone care to see what it looks like when it's finished. Um, the first thing that we're going to do is remove the sand. The sand, there will be dump trucks and a front end loader loading that however long it takes to get all the sand off. Uh, contractors have been known to rent driveways from, say, the people that are only weekenders, use it during the week, then when they come on the weekend, there's nobody there. 
So and that may be a possibility. I just I don't really know the neighbor across the street. Understand that it's a a rental. Um, again, the once the sand is gone, they will drill to pour the caissons in. Then they start from the top because the caissons are poured up to to grade, and then they're cast from grade up into the the second floor height for structural stability. Then they start from that level and they build from wood and steel from there up. So all during construction, that entire area you see there is available for parking for construction. It says garage and it's full depth. So you can, on the site, you could probably fit seven trucks at the same time. Now the ones with the giant racks on there, maybe not fit in there, they have to park outside on the, in front of it, but the regular workers can park their vehicles inside the, underneath the, uh, the house. Um, the breakaway panels, uh, sheet A5. You don't have, okay. Um, there, just as they said, there's a, on the, the foundation for the garage, it's poured similar to a standard foundation, but the, the sill that's bolted down to the concrete and then along the, along the sides is the one that's structurally attached. Then the panels are designed to only have very few nails. And then there's the stucco mesh stops and there's a line that stops it so that the whole panel can be uh, blown out. And it's supposed to be, there's a calculation that's done by FEMA. They, they don't do it, but they have a guideline of how many nails and how much pressure the waves are gonna exert on it. And it is more for a direct wave impact. Um, you, they're showing there that instead of one, like big panels, they're smaller ones so that when they do break away, they're not so huge as they get uh, smashed against everything else, but they do kind of float around inside the garage if they... Um, uh, I'm available for any other construction questions you might have. Um, me? I, oh, anybody. Um, commissioners, do you have any questions for the applicant? Yes, Commissioner Abbey. Mr. Selman? Excuse me? Your, your last name's Selman? Shelnut. Shelnut. I'm very sorry. I didn't hear correctly. Mr. Shelnut, welcome. Um, one of the residents, uh, uh, res residents nearby was asking, she listed a series of five questions. She was a speaker tonight. Um, so her question specifically uh, was meeting the FEMA requirements for breakaway walls and fence, and you were just talking about that. If the water goes through that property and onto their property, and the properties across the street and down the street, is there a diversion plan for the water? Where does the water go? Is there is it directed in any certain direction? Well, typically the the wave action will break out the panels, and they're sort of hinged at the top. If there's some massive waves that take out, they will completely come out. Um, 
but the waves will go in, they'll go through the house and they hit the back wall. And then if the waves are still that large, it does the same thing on the opposite side. Um, the garage wall, garage doors are also meant to break out when it gets full of water. Um, my, but, my question was, is there a diversion plan for the water? I understand that the panels will break away, but right. is there any, I, I don't know how what typically is done in coastal environments. This is the first one where we've had a project right up to where the waves could potentially break and, and hit the property. So this is sort of newer for me. I was wondering, is there a plan, yes or no, for the diversion of the water? And is that something that's typically done in a, it a doesn't, setting like this? It's typically not done because there's nowhere for it to go. I mean, the entire Pierpont, if there's a storm that big, the waves will go down the lanes all the way to Pierpont Boulevard. And every house is going to be flooded. I mean, so no, there we don't have a plan for where the water goes. The water's going to go in the house and then run out to the lane. Basically, that's what's going to happen. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let's see, you talked a little bit about the caissons, uh, the truckloads of sand. How long uh, do you anticipate, how many days or weeks do you anticipate it will take to grade the sand and remove the sand that needs to be removed to work, make this project happen? Um, it might take you know, four days to a week, or three to three weeks, three weeks, about a week to get all the sand out if they're doing, depends on how many trucks they have at the time. If they got two trucks and they have to wait a half hour for one to come back, then it takes a lot longer. But if they get a constant row of trucks coming to get the sand out, it'll go pretty fast. So you think you could safely say you could do this within one week's time? Um, well, I can't really guarantee any particular time. It's all up to the contract. Two weeks? Excuse me? Two weeks? Uh, I'd say at most. Okay. And would you be agreeable, I don't know if it's a condition in there already, I'll ask staff in a minute, but uh, would you agree to a condition that you would notify the neighbors of when that would take place so they when can that, be prepared? Sure, we'd, we'd notify them when, the, when they're going to remove the sand. Okay. All right, those are my questions for now. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Zucker. Thank you. Thanks for that presentation. Um, it sounded like you were saying that the work trucks wouldn't actually need to park on the lane, that they would park on the, the lot itself. Uh, you know, I, I know some of the, the neighbors had requested maybe a, a condition around not having work trucks parking in the lane. Would you have any objections to that? Or? Yeah, well, you can never control a contractor when he's going to show up. And so it's, if there's, like I said, there's space available on the site, that's where they'll park. If it's possible to rent the park, the driveway across the street, we could possibly do that. But you can t ask contractors to park on the end of the street, but they have all the tools they have to bring out every time. And if they need to go get a tool, they got to walk all the way out. So they're not going to like that. So I don't know if I can. You can put it as a condition, but who's going to monitor them parking on the street? Thank you. 
Vice Chair Lagerquist. Thank you. Um, just a couple of quick questions. Did you, what, so was the, the calculation of, of over 700 square feet addition to the house correct, or is that including the bottom? No, it's floor? just that the number that it's on there is the entire structure itself, but the actual living square footage, because the, the lower floor is, what, 1,500 square feet, and we're only using 150 square feet of it for living just to get into the house and up the stairs. The rest of it is just unconditioned, unlivable space. Do you have the calculation of actually how much livable space is increased by the by the new the variance? Like, like for example, if 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 the 10, 10 foot setback was required, do you have that actual livable space calculation by increasing it to four foot three? Uh, well, it's that. But we're at four foot three, so we're five foot nine times however long the house is. I didn't calculate that. Um, was there a need, or was it just trying to? to well, that, like I said, the house is only twenty three hundred square feet. Okay. If you lose that, it's not only you don't only use it from the for the second floor. You also lose it from the third floor, because the third floor is based on the square footage of the second floor. That's all my questions. Thank you. Um, I'd like to ask you about the construction of the caissons. Okay. Is that simply a drilling method or is it a hammer? It's a drilling method. Drilling method. Mm -hmm. And can you give me some idea? Can you give us some idea of how long that process? Because that probably requires a large piece of equipment mm -hmm. and rotary uh, sounds. Emailed staff a photo. Is that available for me? But is this a several-week process to, to build these? Uh, it takes about, you can do one to two caissons a day. Okay. Right. Um, I have this picture of the actual drill rig. It's about the size of a backhoe, basically. Okay. But there's other equipment involved in getting that. Yeah. I mean, you have to shore around the hole when you drill it, and you have to use a very viscous liquid to keep the hole open. And then you have to get the case, steel cage and drop it down halfway, then attach more, then drop that down. Yeah. Then you pump the concrete, take the hose all the way to the bottom. You pump the concrete from the bottom up, and as you're pumping the concrete in, you suck the liquid out that's holding it open, and you put it back in the tank that's on the site. And you pretty much have to do one at a time. You have to drill it, fill it with the steel, fill it with concrete, and then you get to move to the next one because you can't leave it because it'll collapse. Yeah, sounds like an interesting process. Um, and you said the it's you're drilling down 30 feet. 30 to feet. Grade. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, it's about a 40 foot long concrete pile. Yeah. When you're done. I'm just curious if if the water level is at six foot, how mm -hmm. does the concrete dry if it's? Oh, you use a special mix. It's like the oil fields they use out in the ocean. They use pour concrete there all the time. Yep. Okay. Um, there was a request to see if uh, it might be feasible to ask you to not work on Saturdays. How feasible is that? Um, again, you can ask. I mean, I don't really know too many contractors that really like to work on Saturday, but if it's in there, I don't know that it's a really big deal. 
I, I don't know if it's customary to work on Saturdays in residential building or not. Uh, well, if they're really behind on something, they'll want someone to go there and catch up. It would be fair to say, though, the majority of the work. Majority will be the of the time, days. they don't work Saturdays, right? Right. Okay. Very good. That's all the questions I have for now. Any other questions? Oh, Commissioner Abbey. Um, I had asked earlier of staff, so I'll ask of you. Um, uh, let's see. Condition number 22 talks about all lighting is to be designed to combine the light within the site, site boundaries and to provide safety and security. Uh, would you be willing to uh, agree to dark sky compliance? I'm sorry, I didn't catch the question. Would you be willing, uh, instead of the wording in the condition 22 regarding lighting, would you be uh, agreeable to uh, comply with dark sky compliant lighting? Excuse you for a minute. Yes, that's fine. Okay, thank you. All right, very good. Commissioners, any other questions for the applicant? All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, now let's bring it back. And uh, commissioners, um, Commissioner Abbey, please start. I have a question for staff, uh, either Jamie or uh, Ms. Peltier or Netta. Um, I know this is not necessarily part of this action tonight, but the request to codify that shore drive be abandoned, it seems like that's, uh, this is my second stint on planning commission and I have heard a, a number of projects um, in this area where variances are granted and so forth. It, it appears that the city has no um, uh, plan to ever turn Shore Drive into a, uh, a road again. Um, if we, could we, would it be appropriate to make a separate motion apart from the action on this item to request that uh, city staff or city council consider uh, uh, looking into the abandonment of Shore Drive? The, the public right-of-way, as Ms. Peltier identified, there are public utilities under that right-of-way, under that road. Um, it would be very un highly unlikely for the city to abandon that since there are active utilities that lay there. Uh, I can't imagine that the Public Works Department is going to be agreeable to abandoning that. Um, that would be a uh, conversation to have with with the Public Works Department who manages and controls our, our streets and right-of-way. Um, but m my understanding through my time here is that they, when there are utilities involved, they do not abandon public right-of-ways. Is, is there anything short of abandoning it that can be done, a sort of a half action? Or is it all or nothing, either you abandon it or you leave it on the books? That would be a conversation to have. we would have to have with Public Works. I wouldn't be able to answer that question tonight. Who, who would initiate that conversation? We're happy to go and have that conversation with them, um, but I think that would be beyond the 
what we could do tonight. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Busa. Wrong button, pardon me. Um, and, and looking at uh, the resolution, number one, the, de the development does not significantly obstruct public views of the coastline um, from any public road or public recreation. Um, I'm looking at the site and the plans and I see palms identified. Now I, I, I don't see these in the public right away. They look to be towards the back of the property so as likely not to obstruct a public view, but I am hearing and from a public comment that it would obstruct other views within um, other lanes adjacent to, to the property. Um, is it possible to consider maybe non-palm um, that go up in such great height um, that would obstruct any views? You're asking the applicant? Um, I guess. Or staff? Yes, applicant, if that's possible, sorry. Do we have to reopen the hearing? Yeah. There, is, there um, is a landscape plan as part of the package and it has, the palms are actually pygmy date palms. They get about six or seven feet tall. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Okay, thank you. I haven't closed the, the public hearing yet, so they can pop up. I, I anticipated they may have to come up. All right, uh, Vice Chair Lagerquist. Um, everybody pretty much answered my questions except for one um, Netta who is going to be responsible for maintaining the beach access during both during building and even after I mean it looks like that that property is <laughs> used for beach access excessively now and based on the pictures on that wall I'm just curious how that will be addressed Right, so that's the conversation we're having about how to maintain it and make sure that the trucks aren't blocking it. Um, the idea is that staging and parking will be on site post grading the site. Right, but I'm actually talking about after the house is complete. Like, is there a public access that's still going to be there? Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, that public access, that staircase um, will remain there. Oh, of course, I can't find the image. Um, so they're, they're, the staircase is the same way as all the other lanes. It'll just stay there exactly as it is with the wall and the stairs intact. So based on that, um, on, on resolution three, there's a paragraph after policy 7.6. Um, <laughs> so the, the the answer to the policy is the proposed residence is located within a legal lot at the end of Bath Lane. The end lot has not been developed, but the residence will continue to allow public access to the directly adjacent beach area. I, I recommend rewording that because the way it's worded now, it makes it sound like the owner will be the one that will maintain and, and you know, keep that public access. It just sounds kind of weird. We could reword it to say, um, that the proposed development of the residence would not yes. encumber exactly. or impede the access to the, the public beach access adjacent to the property. Yeah. And yeah, okay. Commissioner Zucker. So one more quick question for the, the applicant or, or I guess if, uh, if staff can answer as well. Um, the, the area between the house and Shore Drive, that's that's going to be concrete or landscaped or but it's not it's not going to be you know maintaining the the kind of beach environmental conditions that are there now right so 
if the the say the variance was denied, that wouldn't you know say protect another six feet of you know untouched habitat, right? It, it's either way, it's kind of going to be wiped and leveled and concrete, right? Is that okay? All right. So uh, hypothetical, let's say Shore Drive uh, 20 years from now, they do want to build a wooden walkway um, for public access, ADA um, approved. Could they build that on up to the, the line and be four and a half feet away from the residents? Hypothetically, yes. Okay. Yeah, because uh, there was an issue in Channel Islands not too long ago where it appears that a number of residences had encroached on the beach. And I don't know if it was the county, uh, but someone was considering reclaiming it and asking everyone to pull their property line and fences and patios in. And uh, just want to examine all angles before we make a decision on this. Okay. Any other questions or we'll get into the deliberation in a moment. I'm going to close the public hearing now. All right. Comments? Propositions? Anyone? Commissioner Zucker followed by Commissioner Brusa. Wow. Didn't think I'd be first in the, uh, in the queue here. Um, I'll, I'll kind of address, you know, each, each point. Um, one by one that I think is, you know, is the, the case here. I mean, you know, I, I do think broadly speaking, you know, we're, we're talking about a coastal development permit and so I view a lot of that through the lens of coastal protection and, and coastal access. And, um, you know, I, I do think that, uh, you know, that maybe no one will love to hear this, but, uh, but you know, frankly, I think if this city was built all over again, I, I don't know if I'd build any of the houses in this neighborhood, right? Um, you know, I'd, I'd probably go, let's protect this dune habitat and add a little more density to Midtown. Um, you know, but that applies just as much to the, the neighbors as the applicants, right? Um, you know, I do think that the, like, dune systems that are there are incredibly important. Uh, you know, they maintain our sandy beaches from erosion and, you know, they're... <laughs> There's some of the last remaining, you know, dune systems in the, the coast of California, and they're mostly gone and destroyed, right? Um, you know, but that being said, it seems like the actions we have today are not going to have much impact on that necessarily, right? That, you know, the the variance, if, you know, if if the the variance could protect another six feet of dune ecosystem, I would say let's deny that variance and protect that six feet. But I think either way, you know, it's it's going to be covered in concrete, right? Um, you know, and, and so I don't feel that motivated about making a, a large beach house slightly larger. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, it, it also does seem like the, the point of the, the setback around kind of visibility turning around a corner isn't really relevant here. So I, I think I, you know, I feel relatively neutral about that one. Um, some of the conditions that were recommended, I think the, you know, condition around... Uh, work trucks not parking in the lane, I, I think does make sense. I think that's about protecting beach access for the whole of the Ventura community. I know a lot of people, I know I've parked on Pierpont Boulevard and walked down one of those lanes to get to the beach as someone who, you know, can't afford to live in this neighborhood, right? But, but this is about all of our community being able to get there. So, um, you know, I think that's reasonable and it seems like that's kind of what the applicant is planning on doing 
anyway, and so I think it's a, you know, it would be a reasonable condition. Um, you know, I think the construction on certain days, you know, I, I think that one is, uh, you know, it again sounds like maybe the applicant doesn't really mind that one. I, I do think it's interesting. I, other folks in less affluent parts of the city don't have the right to, you know, uh, kind of request that or, you know, we're not, we're not conditioning any other projects on that. Um, you know, and so it doesn't, doesn't feel super consistent to me. Um, so just, just kind of my, my, I feel less, less inclined to, to focus on that one um, than the, than kind of the, the, you know, protecting the public access in the, in the lanes. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Busa. Uh, uh, adding to that, uh, Commissioner Zucker, I, again, uh, focused on the beach access as well, and, you know, mainly a lot of our community is using the beach on the weekends, on Saturday and Sunday, um, and I think ensuring the coastal access so that we're not blocking the, the lanes on Saturday and Sunday, or on Saturday when we may see more folks trying to access the beach who don't live down there. So I would support a condition to restrict uh, construction on Saturday and Sunday and, and city holidays. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Abbey. Thank you, Chair Comden. Um, this is hard because um, I'm, I, I generally don't like variances. In fact, I look pretty toughly at, uh, look, take a, strong view on variances. Uh, but I have to say that in this area, and, and it was not in the staff report, but in the staff reports when I was on the Planning Commission the first time, we used to get maps of which parcels actually asked for variances and which type of variances. Was it lot coverage? Was it height? Uh, side bet setback? So forth. So you could get a feel for it. And uh, believe me, it's uh, pretty um, common. It's a pretty common thing. Um, while I don't like uh, variants, in, I would look very uh, strongly against if a side variance was uh, infringing or encroaching onto a neighbor nearby, since this is on Shore Drive, which is clearly not going to be used in the future. There's no plan to do it. It will not happen. Um, so I, I think, unfortunately, uh, it, it's somewhat of a non-issue. So I will support the variance on, on that basis. Um, I did have a question, one question on trees. Is there, do we put limits on tree heights anywhere in the city? No, we do not. Okay, so, all right, uh, so I can't, I won't be pushing that issue. Um, it's important, but to those involved. Um, I agree with Commissioner Zucker and Busa regarding um, trucks being parked in the lanes um, to ensure coastal access that that not occur on sat Saturday, Sunday, or city holidays, so I support that condition. Um, I'm wondering if there, if there is a condition or could there be a condition staff uh, that says, because it is somewhat unusual, there's beach access, the public needs beach access and so forth, and the neighbors, there's such narrow lanes. So it's kind of an unusual situation. So a little more 
consideration, in my opinion, might be due the residents in this area. Uh, so one of the asks was for an actual traffic plan for when sand and construction of the house will happen. Uh, we, we'd like to know contractor schedule regarding changes as they occur uh, so we can be absent on a particular noisy days. We work from home. Is there some way to write a condition that encapsulates those concerns? Is that already in here or is that something we would need to ask for? Uh, sure, so it's partially in there when it comes to the hours and days, but um, we do have something that we can um, let you know if this works for you. I have a condition written. Um, the applicant shall submit a traffic and construction management plan to be submitted for review and approved by the community development director with the building permit application. Construction activities shall be limited to Monday through Friday and not occur on weekends or observe city holidays. The applicant shall notify and provide the residents on Bath Lane with a schedule of when the hauling of sand will occur on the site. I like it. Great. Okay, I think that addresses that issue. Um, and then also, um, Commissioner McCarty's not here. I agree with him regarding, and it sounds like the contractor applicant team is willing to accept Dark Sky compliance uh, wording uh, similar to what happened on the 76 car wash gas station um, in East Ventura at, at the last meeting that on the uh, minutes that we had. So if that verbiage could be substituted in, do I need to read it or does staff know what I'm talking about? I can find that. Okay, yeah, very good. All right, let me see if there's anything else. Can I have a clarification though? Um, so that was for a commercial facility. This is for residential. Is there anything different that I don't think there is. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I don't think it, it is, and I'm sure your boss will let you know if, if there is a problem with that. Okay. I'm getting a thumbs up, so it looks good. Okay. Um, I think that's it. Okay, those are my concerns. Thank you. Very good. Vice Chair. Thank you, Chair. Um, so I, I would agree with most of the comments that, you know, that this lot is already zoned for residential. Um, it's not a corner lot. And so to hold it to the 10-foot uh, variance or the 10-foot setback doesn't seem appropriate. So, I, you know, I agree with all that. I, I would say, I mean, I, I am for coastal access, absolutely. Um, one of my comments was making sure a biologist was on site, but that's already in the conditions and, and things like that. So that's great. Um, I, I hesitate to require the applicant for these additional conditions because the only reason this came to the Planning Commission was because of that setback. And so, I mean, are we adding requirements that are not, that other Ventura residents or other Pierpoint residents or, or whatnot have to follow? I, I'm for them. I, I definitely, you know, if, if, if the applicant would just agree to them or, you know, if there was an agreement, that would be fine. The dark lighting um, and, you know, the tree height and, um, and I, I know we didn't put that as a condition, but even the traffic plan, like, I, I totally agree that we, you know, care needs to be taken 
on the access of this site and so that the residents can still access their houses um, since it is at the very end of that lane. Um, if a traffic plan is not already required, you know, I, I am an engineer, I know what a traffic plan entails, this is not an easy, an easy ask. And so I just, I just want to heed a little caution um, on how much we're requesting from the applicant. And those are just some of my thoughts. Um, agree, I, I, again, I, I agree the variance is fine in this situation. I think we have plenty of documentation to back up our decision on that. Um, but again, the other requests, I'm a little more hesitant as, as part of our deliberation. Thank you. Um, I agree with much of what's been said here, especially this last point. Um, we know it's gonna be disruptive to the community. Um, the bath lane is very narrow. Uh, but setting a precedent that um, we require traffic studies and certain exceptions that they cannot park and where and what for. It seems like we have an applicant that's conscious of all these things and hopefully can be a good neighbor before they move in. Um, there's going to be some major disruption with the sand removal, which may take five or seven days. We know that, uh, noticing the neighbors. Um, it is what it is. There's really only one way to get to that spot to take out the sand and so they'll have to do what they do but it's relatively short period putting the caissons down that's going to take longer but still within a month's time uh, and then the steel construction and things like this this is it's heavy construction um, and hopefully it goes according to plan although oftentimes these things have slight delays i just want to reiterate to the applicant that the neighbors, the direct neighbors, and the neighborhood is very sensitive to all these things. Uh, I don't want to have to handcuff you with all these rules and regulations, um, but I'm just asking you as a as a neighbor to do the right thing here. Um, I would like to see a short drive turned into a wooden uh, plank area that people with disabilities can enjoy the beach from. Um, I don't know that we have an example of that. In, uh, in the city, but uh, we have that easement. It's not going to go away for reasons speculated. Um, so to do something with it would be nice, although I'm not sure what we should do about the legless lizard. You know, we, they exist there, and this disruption may take away some of their habitat, uh, and building something on top of the shore drive area may not be a good idea. So I'll leave it to the experts on that. Um, I am chagrined about the sand situation and I, I would implore the city to move forward as quickly as they can to try and find other solutions because trucking sand out, every beach that I've, I'm a surfer and every beach that I've gone to, they always import sand, whether it's Santa Monica or San Diego or elsewhere, taking sand away is just it's just not the right thing to do. Sand moves, we know that. Uh, we pump a lot of sand out of uh, the harbor and they just seem to put it uh, a mile offshore uh, where it drifts back in and it's a chronic problem that it costs millions of dollars to pump away. So uh, I'm sorry that we're continuing to do that. It's not the only problem. Every one of these lanes sees a buildup of sand due to wind action and rain. I'd love to find a, a solution where we can reinstall it in the managed uh, retreat up by the fairgrounds or some other place so they don't, we don't have to ship it 40 miles away at great expense in a big carbon footprint. Those are my comments. 
Okay. Would someone like to make a motion? Commissioner Abbey. Um, I'd like to move uh, staff recommendations with the following uh, changes. Uh, change uh, condition number 22 to read with the wording uh, for dark sky compliance. The applicant has agreed to that. And so I move that. Um, we seem to have a consensus regarding trucks not parking in the lanes uh, Saturday and Sunday. So basically whatever the condition number 10 was, just say that Saturday and Sunday and city holidays, uh, there would be no work would occur. So that's modifying number 10. Um, I do, no one asked for traffic studies. Um, I do want to include the condition at my prompting that staff worked. Could, could you read that provision again? And uh, Sure. So the condition uh, crafted, it says, the applicant shall submit a traffic and construction management plan to be submitted for review and approved by the community development director with the building permit application. Construction activities shall be limited to Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, sorry, wrong condition. Monday through Friday and not occur on weekends or observe city holidays. Um, the applicant shall notify and provide the residents on Bath Lane with a schedule of the hauling and sand of the sand um, that will occur on the site. Okay. Um, the beginning of that, maybe I'd like to modify somewhere. I, I don't think we're asking for a traffic and management plan. I don't think we need to go that far. The idea of the, what I'm trying to include in the motion is that the contractor will communicate when especially noisy uh, activities will occur and when they expect that the lanes might be blocked. That's all I'm asking. Do you want to quantify how far out that goes? Is it two houses away in each direction, 100 feet? The whole zip code? Kidding. I don't have an answer to that. Is there a customary notice on something like this? We could modify that condition and take out the first sentence to say construction activities shall be limit, limited to Monday through Friday and not occur on weekends or any observed city holiday. The applicant shall notify and provide the residents on Bath Lane with a schedule of when hauling of sand will occur. This way, the residents along all of Bath Lane would be notified, and we can even quantify will occur and on the site seven days in advance of the first haul, so a time period in which that occurs. I would agree to that. That's my motion. Okay. Uh, do we have a second? I'll second that. Okay, very good. Discussion. Don't frown at me without saying something. <laughs> Vice Chair. Uh, okay, so maybe Netta, you can help us get through the, this process if, if we're not in agreement. Um, do we, we need to go through the vote and then, and then if it passes, it passes. If it doesn't, then we can put another motion on the floor. Is that correct? 
you can ask for a friendly amendment to the motion maker. Um, you can uh, make a substitute motion, or you can let this motion go through with roll call to see if it passes. And the, the, go ahead, please. Just if I can add, as we as we learned at unfortunately great uh, logistical difficulty in our previous meeting, if you do make a substitute motion, that substitute motion is actually voted on first. Correct. And then, Correct. and then the original motion. So depending be, so. upon the severity of a, oh. your disagreement, you could make a friendly uh, amendment request and see if it's taken. If not, you can make a substitute. Choose. <laughs> Anyone else have comments at this time? Okay. Okay. Madam Clerk, would you please take the roll? We'll go ahead and use the crest on if that's okay. I'm sorry, say again? Oh, yes. That's what, Thank I, you. That's where I thought we were going to go. That motion carries. All right, very good. Good luck with your project. All right, now let's move to item number three. Project 230279. Rachel, are you presenting? You are not. I am not presenting this. Oh, evening. okay, very I am good. Here with um, one of our contract planners. Very good. Presenting in just a moment. Okay. But I'm here for questions if you need them. Thank you very much. Good evening, commissioners. Um, I'm Holly King Winnegar. I'm a contract planner for the city of Ventura. I'm working with the Ventura Water and, and the City of Ventura with uh, a local coastal plan amendment and reorganization. Welcome. Thank you. The local coastal plan amendment uh, is, and the reorganization is for a 10-acre site at the corner, southeast corner of Levis Park Drive and Harbor Boulevard. The Ventura Water Pure program and Ventura Water is upgrading their water treatment and am I too loud? Uh, water treatment and reclamation program. As part of the entire Ventura Water Pure program, they are proposing to construct a new advanced water purification facility known as an AWPF. And they purchased a 10-acre site at the southeast corner of Harbor Boulevard and Olivas Park Drive. The site is in the unincorporated area of Ventura County and is required to be annexed to the city of Ventura. The site is within the city of San Buenaventura's urban restriction boundary, known as CURB, and the city of Ventura's sphere of influence and the city of Ventura's planning area. The site is also within the jurisdictional boundaries of the coastal zone with oversight by the Coastal Commission. 
and the site needs a local coastal plan amendment to pre-zone the site for annexation and a land use comprehensive plan needs to amend the land use and comprehensive plan policies to allow the development of the site. The project and this hearing are not for the construction of the AWPF itself. The project is to amend the local coastal plan, pre-zone the site, and annex the site to allow for development. The AWPF structure and related development would require a coastal development for approval at a later date. The local pro coastal pro program amendment includes a change to the site's general plan and coastal plan, um, comprehensive plan designation from commerce to harbor commercial to change the site zoning designation from planned commercial tourist oriented uh, PC-T to Harbor Commercial, H-C. Establishing a new planning area, the Southeast Harbor within the Ventura Harbor section of the land use element and creating new site-specific policies and development standards tailored for the anticipated use of the site. The elimination of the site the 10-acre site specifically from the Olivas community in the um, land use plan. Creation of new policies and development standards that would apply to the newly formed Southeast Harbor area. Modify the comprehensive plans Ventura Harbor areas and Ventura Harbor land use maps to show the new Southeast Harbor area within the Ventura Harbor and with an HC land use designation and to modify the city's zoning map and also the uh, local implementation plan to show the Southeast Harbor area site as zoned H-C Harbor Commercial. In your staff report and in the findings, you'll see that the project does meet the requirements of the Coastal Act. There are no impacts to public access, to coastline public access, public access from the roadway, no impacts to ESHA, agricultural um, resources, no visual impacts or impacts to scenic resources, no increase of public use to the coasts, no impacts related to air, hazards, energy, or vehicle miles traveled, um, and uh, <clears throat> the public, public works facilities that are put into the coastal zone will conform to the Coastal Act, and there's no impact on future coastal development dependent uses. For annexation to LAFCO and to, in, to the city, it's, uh, it's what we call a reorganization. Ventura LAFCO must ap approve and record a reorganization for the proposed site to be annexed into the city. So it would be consisting of an annexation of the 10-acre parcel into the city of Ventura, annexation into the port district, detachment from Ventura County Fire Protection District, detachment from Ventura County Resource Conservation District and detachment from County Service Area Number 32. The parcel meets the requirements and favorable factors for Ventura LAFCO approval as the site is within the urban area and city services such as water, fire, police um, are available to the parcel. Section 24.105.130 of the Municipal Code provides that for unincorporated territory, it must be pre-zoned by the city to determine the zoning classification that will apply to such territory if it is subsequently annexed to the city. And in this case, as part of the local coastal plan amendment, 
uh, we are proposing the new designation BH-C, Harbor Commercial. The project meets the requirement of the general plan and comprehensive plan and is consistent with the policies and goals of the two plans. Uh, to, uh, to satisfy CEQA requirements, we did an addendum to the Ventura Water Peers EIR, EIR 9-19-52130. This was the second addendum prepared for the EIR. No substantial changes or changed circumstances uh, for which the proposed project was undertaken were identified. No new significant environmental effects or substantial increase in the severity of the previously identified significant effects under the certified EIR were found. Um, and no new information was surfaced that the proposed project would have one or more significant effects as previously discussed in the approved EIR. We uh, did, uh, we did receive a public comment letter from the Coastal Commission uh, today. Um, it is in your supplemental informational packet. Um, in response to the letter that was uh, sent to us today from uh, um, oh, Walt, what's his last name? Walt. From Walt. Walt. Walt Deppy at the Coastal Commission. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I forgot his last name for a minute. Um, we did prepare a supplemental packet and we have changes that I'm going to identify in the um, PowerPoint. Uh, so, um, in your original package, you had a proposed resolution recommending the approval of a general plan amendment and comprehensive plan and we are including the comprehensive plan and, and it's, it's supposed to be local implementation plan amendment to the city's local coastal program. In section four of the resolution, we are uh, proposing to add the um, underlined, um, underlying sentence and updating the harbor areas map as shown in exhibit B. Uh, as part of the uh, resolution, we're proposing to add section seven. Based on the above findings, the Planning Commission hereby recommends that the City Council approve a major amendment to the local implementation plan, portion of the local coastal program, pre-zoning the site to the Harbor Commercial HC zone as shown in Exhibit B. And we are also proposing that in the resolution, we are adding Section eight, based on the above findings, the Planning Commission hereby recommends that the City Council approve a major amendment to the local implementation plan, zoning regulations in chapter 24.238 uh, for the Harbor Commercial Zone, section 24.238.020 uses, part B3I and for uh, quote unquote, public service facilities, including fire and police stations, libraries, public parking lots, sewer treatment facilities, utility substations, out of the uh, subsection commercial fishing and into the general part of 24.238-020B. It's, it's um, on your supplemental, uh, if you can refer to uh, exhibit C, that was added, it's actually on the very last page of your supplemental packet. 
and, and it's the Exhibit C of your resolution, proposed Exhibit C of your proposed resolution. And um, you can see that it, um, public service facilities used to be a subsection under commercial fishing. We are proposing to clean that up and make it its own section number five and allowing for public service facilities, including fire and police stations, libraries, public parking lots, sewer treatment facilities, and utility substations. Um, there were also some other comments from Coastal Commission that um, in general talking with the city uh, in the previous meetings over the last year, that um, their understanding was that we were gonna add some additional clarification language in the um, updated LCPA amendments. So uh, for the, in the general location policies, um, we just added the words and Southeast Harbor area. And then in the um, proposed language of the area locational intensity policies for the Southeast Harbor area and under biological resources evaluation, we added or are proposing to add studying potential on offsite impacts to ESHA slash sensitive species from any fuel modification required for the structure. Oh, and um, I forgot that this, I added a PowerPoint uh, page that shows the proposed municipal code and local implementation plan text changes, uh, as I just pointed out in the back of your packet. So for the recommendation, staff is recommending that the Planning Commission forward a recommendation of approval to the City Council for the General Plan Comprehensive Plan Amendment, GPA-03-23-0001. Staff recommends that the Planning Commission forward a recommendation of approval for the reorganization and pre-zoning of the site. And staff recommends the Planning Commission forward a recommendation of approval to the City Council for certification of addendum number two to the Ventura Water Pure EIR. That concludes my presentation. I'm available for questions, and I did also want to mention that Ventura Water is here to answer any questions um, regarding any of the uh, this project or any of their other projects that um, are referenced in this project. Very good. Thank you, Ms. King Warringar. Any questions for Holly or water staff? Commissioner Abbey. Good evening. Um, let's see. So you mentioned a couple of additions. So in addition to the Ventura Water Pure facility, uh, this Southeast Harbor area, which is the 10 acres that we're talking about, you said it would also allow for police, fire, and some other ancillary buildings? So that's just generally the land use itself that's listed. It's incorrectly categorized under commercial fishing land uses. It doesn't change anything about the allowable land use on that site. It just moves it into its own category. But there are no plans for other types of public facilities on this site. Okay, so Ventura Water is looking at this time to strictly build the Ventura Water Pure facility. That's correct. Okay. Um, I was looking at, uh, I don't have a page number, but I was looking at uh, the view study, and it showed different views from different corridors, and 
obviously when there's nothing there, you have this awesome view of the hillsides and so forth. And obviously if you build, construct this facility, some of that's going to be obscured. Um, I know today is a high level change in land use. It has nothing to do with what the building should look like. Um, can you comment on the, what the building looks like in the um, use studies? And is that just more or less a box that you're going to, Ventra Water is going to use? Or what sort of, I, I don't need to know the detail, but is, is that a detailed view of what that facility will look like? I know that's not really what we're talking about tonight. Right, so there is a, an artistic rendering of potential future conditions, but it's not um, a, a rendering that represents the final version of the project. But on page three of the viewshed analysis, there is that artistic rendering from March of 2023. Do you have the capability of putting that on the screen? Uh, you'll have to give me one moment. Why don't we skip to the next question no, and I'll no make problem. that happen. Those are my questions for now. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Commissioner Zucker. Um, I, my first question is, and, and maybe I'll save my second question if the answer is yes, but um, will the, the CDP for the actual facility come back to us um, uh, at Planning Commission later? Yes. Uh, at the time that they're going to apply for the local coastal, um, I'm sorry, the CDP, it would come back to the coastal commission, uh, to the planning commission. Great. So if I can elaborate on that, the reason that this view study is included in here at all is because coastal commission required that it be, um, and they did not allow us to make any amendments to the regulatory framework without some of this analysis being done. So um, as you all have mentioned, it's the actual coastal development permit and design of the project is not being reviewed by the Planning Commission this evening, solely putting in together a regulatory framework. The project, when it does come through after the regulatory framework has all been adopted, there's a long process, an LCP amendment, annexation of the site, then a CDP will be processed for the actual design of the project and go to, to DRC and you know, a variety of other hearings. I just wanted to clarify that for the record of why, why is this in here? Coastal Commission required that we include it as part of the packet. Got it. Well, I'm, I'm super interested and excited about this project and have a, a million very general questions, but maybe those should wait until the actual project CDP comes for us. And so I uh, don't have any other questions on this. Vice Chair Lagerquist. Yes, thank you. Um, was the original, uh, sorry, so the ER, EIR amendment, so the, the, the original one was done when it was like commercial tourists. Is that how it was originally? completed and then so then when the amendment was done it was based on the new HC is that how it works um, so the original EIR evaluated about four to five uh, different sites for the actual uh, proposed AWPF site and the um, the actual zoning and the land use designation was not something that was um, uh, reviewed in the EIR. It was the site itself, the site analysis. One of the reasons this site was actually chosen was because it was um, not in, you know, not 
no ESHA was um, going to be in, impacted with the site. It was um, not, it was something that the city, it could be annexed into the city. It was in within the city's curb boundaries. There was, um, it wasn't, it wasn't an active agricultural piece of land. That, so you didn't have to take 10 acres out of agricultural. Um, so that's one of the reasons the site was actually chosen. So there was an analysis of different sites. The actual zoning and the what the Ventura water uh, ended up proposing as far as um, harbor commercial or um, to one of the reasons they're proposing it is so that it can be allowed in on the site and also because you do need to pre-zone it and the PCT doesn't necessarily allow for the wouldn't necessarily allow for the um, purification the water facility. So that was one of the reasons they're proposing to rezone it to HC rather than keeping it as PCT. I, I, I think my question is more about what would have caused the EIR to change? Like if, 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 if it was based on the site, um, then what would have created a, you know, a need for an amendment to the EIR? So there's no... Um, so there's no direct reason of, there's no changes that were found as far as, um, uh, there's no new substantial information or no new significant impacts that were found as part of this um, proposed amendment and, and, and rezoning from PCT to HC. Um, however, it's just a matter of um, processing that we uh, choose to determine, we, we determine to make a finding of an, doing an addendum to an EIR and making a finding that there was no new significant impacts or no additional substantial changes that needed to be made to the EIR. So that's actually what the addendum actually says, is that there's no new substantial changes, there's no new significant impacts. Um, the original conditions or anything that mitigation, the mitigation measures that were found with the original EIR are adequate for this project. So everything is basically, it's, a de, it's kind of a de, de minimis finding, if you will, but we, as part of process and part of making it um, more of a legal, uh, making it more legally um, sustainable, not, not challengeable, uh, an addendum was prepared. And then my other question, um, in the staff report, there is a paragraph, let's see, under staff analysis, one, oops, one, two, three, four, five, six paragraphs, the parcel meets the requirements and favorable factors for Ventura Lafco, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, and the proposed site is owned by the city's water and wastewater funds and is to be used for public purposes. Can, can you just maybe, explain what it means when it's owned by the funds? <laughs> We'd actually invite up Ventura Water um, to speak more about the funding that goes into a project like this. Thank you. Um, I'm Linda Szymanski, the Ventura Water Peer Program Director and representing Ventura Water this evening for this project. Um, actually, uh, water and wastewater are enterprise funds within the city. Um, they operate on um, customer rates, and it is actually that, that enterprise fund, that those two enterprise funds that own this. So they are not part of um, the, the, um, the city. They are specifically um, 
the, the property was specifically purchased by Ventura Water. Okay, thank you. That, that's clear. Okay. Uh, other questions? Okay, I'm going to go back to square one. Um, why this location? Um, I'm assuming it has something to do with the adjacency to the wastewater treatment center. Uh, but, you know, I've, my office used to be on Spinnaker Drive for many years, and I thought eventually the build-out 50, 75 years from now will have hotels in the area, et cetera. Why on the major intersection are we building a water treatment center, nice though it looks, and it's going to have a, a public interface. Can you explain that? It looks like there's some vacant parcels adjacent to the wastewater treatment center that might have been considerations too. So I thought I'd ask the question. Um, Chair, I actually do have a presentation and I do actually address that in the presentation. So- How long? Um, um, 10 minutes at the most. Are, are you interested enough to- uh, Oh, it, it was your intention to present that yes, tonight? Yes, it was. Okay, well then, yes. shall we move to that just now? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, I did want to introduce Ventura Water Pier um, in a little bit more detail this evening for you. Um, next slide, please. So this is actually the culmination of um, several decades of work. Um, the... Um, Ventura water was challenged back in 2008 for discharging tertiary treated water into the Santa Clara River estuary. And um, the city actually, as part of its um, pollution discharge permit, has been required to remove discharge from the estuary. And they, we are also part of a lawsuit to, um, to actually accomplish that. So Ventura Water Pier is actually the answer to solving that problem. Um, Ventura Water Pier is going to recover, treat, and reuse that tertiary water that's going to the Santa Clara River estuary. We're gonna create a local water supply that is not dependent upon rainfall. So this is actually a, um, a diagram of how um, Ventura Water Pier will work. Currently, um, water will come from the Ventura community to the Ventura Water Reclamation Plant. It is treated there to tertiary standards, and you might recognize that as the water that is used to water things like parks and those types of things. Um, the remainder that is not used right now um, is discharged to the Santa Clara River estuary. So instead of actually discharging to the estuary, we will be taking that water and routing it to an advanced water purification plant. At that point, we will actually be um, treating the water quality, um, treating the water to a quality that is um, applicable for potable drinking water. Um, that water from the advanced plant um, currently will be injected into the groundwater. It provides an extra barrier of protection um, in for that drinking water. Um, it will be extracted just as we extract other, our other sources of groundwater and treated at our water conditioned facilities and then returned to the community for use. So next slide. So in the future, um, once we're done with the complete project, uh, we will be making up about 20% of Ventura's water supply. So these are actually the program components um, laid out on a, um, 
a map for everyone to see. The one that we're interested in tonight is actually the Advanced Water Purification Facility. Um, you can see that there are some other projects associated with Ventura Water Pure, and you can see some of their locations. Next slide. So this is actually um, the slide that shows why we selected um, the site that we did. Um, there was a study done before the EIR back in 2018 that studied a number of sites throughout the city. And there were a number of criteria that we looked at, and each of those criteria had a weighting. Some of them were more important than others. And so when we were done with all of the ratings that um, for the various sites, basically the advantage for site number two, which is the, um, the harbor site that we're reviewing tonight, was that it is a parcel that is large enough for us to be able to develop the plant on. It's not in the FEMA flood zone. Um, it, does ha it is located um, very near our existing reclamation plant, and the reclamation plant is providing the feed stream to the advanced plant, so we don't have as far to pump it. To, to that treatment. Um, it is accessible. Um, there is an entrance available off of Olivas Park and there is an entrance available off of Harbor Boulevard. We had a willing seller at the time and it is also within the city's curb boundaries. So it had a lot of pluses associated with it relative to some of the other sites. Um, next slide. So just a timeline of kind of where we've been with this. Um, in 2019, um, the EIR was um, certified. It did include the site too. Um, in June of 2022, we did phase one environmental, and then in December of 22, moved on to our phase two environmental studies. Um, we have been in discussions with um, city staff and also Coastal Commission and LAFCO um, over the past year and a half or so. And um, we are actually here tonight for um, approval for the local coastal plan amendment and annexation and recommendation to council. Um, we hope to be starting design by the end of the year and hope to be back in 2024 for our coastal development permit and be in construction in 2025. Uh, next slide. And that was it. That was my short presentation. I hope that answered the question. <laughs> it does. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, questions? Yes, uh, Commissioner Abbey. I had a question for Ms. Szymanski. Um, I remember when I was young, there was a major flood in the, in the 60s, about 67, 68, somewhere in there. And uh, it took out um, the brand new, about a year old, Levis Park golf course and uh, went into the marina. It was Ventura Marina at the time and flooded it and so forth. So I'm surprised that that particular land is not falling within the FEMA flood zone. Yeah, it actually does not fall into the um, FEMA flood zone as we looked at the maps. We are aware of that, but it actually does not fall in there. Okay, thank you. Hit the button, Vice Chair. Oh, Which button? you're up. Go for it. <laughs> Thanks. Um, thank you for that. And I, I, full disclosure, I'm a water wastewater engineer and by, by education, although that was hijacked by PFAS. Um, but um, so super exciting. Do you, what, do you know what the MGD for um, the current discharge is? Like how much will you be treating? 
So currently, um, our discharge is about 7 million gallons a day. Um, we are required um, by our permits to actually do a phased implementation of Ventura Water Pure. So we will not be removing all of the discharge to the estuary at one time. We will need to leave just under 2 million gallons a day in the estuary in the first phase. Um, there are some other uses for the recycled water. So um, in all, after we've treated the remainder, we'll be making about 3.2 million gallons a day from that plant. Okay. Um, it, it, does the 7 million gallon, is the 7 MGD, is that all of Ventura? Is, is that the only discharge point? That's correct. Okay. Okay, thanks. Other questions? I'm interested in the groundwater recharging. Um, that's not going on now. That is correct. We are not currently recharging the groundwater. Okay. Um, there is natural um, recharge going on, but um, we are not injecting into the groundwater right now. That will help us with the saltwater intrusion problem or? Yeah, actually this project is not set up to do that um, in this area. We're not experiencing that, so that um, seawater intrusion, although there is in um, the basins that are closer to the ocean, um, there are things set up for that, but this particular area does not experience it. Okay, and taking the water that currently goes into the river, uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, over time that will lessen because we'll be reusing it and pumping it back into the city for use. What do you anticipate that does to the ecosystem of the river? Yeah, um, thanks. Um, we actually have had a number of studies that have been done, um, and we are actually returning this to a more natural environment and the way that it was previously before discharges were started there. And that is the goal of the project. It is actually protective of the estuary. Okay, very good. Do you need some sand? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, any other questions? That's Commissioner Abbey. Just have a quick question. Um, so we saw the pipeline going from Ventura Water Pier in the diagram going to the east. Which um, aquifers would you be injecting the treated water into? Sure, we are actually um, planning on using the Oxnard Plain Basin and the Wainimi Aquifer, which the city actually does withdraw water from already. Okay, and I understand from reading about Ventura Water Pier that the Ventura, East Ventura especially particularly has hard water. Will this help in making the water less hard? It actually, it actually will help improve some of the water quality. We have done just basically some tabletop studies in blending and we do find that it does help with the hardness of the water quality. Okay, thank you. Commissioner uh, Zucker. I was going to hold comments, but now that everyone else is jumping in, might as well get my bite at the apple too, right? Um, maybe just a general question. I, um, you know, I've been a few times to the, the Advanced Water Purification Facility in Oxnard. Um, how, how does this project compare with that, uh, that facility, you know, similarities or differences? Yeah, actually this will be a very similar process to what you see in the Oxnard facility. So um, actually some of the staff that had worked there now works here at the city and we're going to be able to draw on their expertise. All right, very good. While we have you, um, 
couple of questions. Um, the 20% capacity when fully uh, enacted, um, does that mean we will have to draw 20% less water from somewhere else, all th things being equal, or will it increase our capacity? What's the general thinking there? So what we're measuring that against right now is um, the water that is used by the community. And so 20% of that water will now come from this plant instead of someplace else. Um, it may allow us to do things like rest our groundwater you know, in certain times so that it can recover better in, you know, after times of drought. So it provides that type of source for us. You may or may not know, um, because of the deluge of rain we had this past year, have the aquifers uh, replenished quite a bit, or did most of it run off into the ocean? Do we know? While I'm we have I'm going to let one of the other experts on that come up and answer okay. that question. <laughs> Miles, really? Esquire <laughs> means water. I, I asked Jean if she'd like to, but... Uh, um, yes, so uh, United Water Conservation District is a local groundwater um, conservation district, and there uh, the basins over off of um, the 126 freeway um, on the way to um, the Moore Park area, you see those basins there. They take the water um, and divert it off the Santa Clara River when there's sufficient flows, and they have been able to recharge a significant amount of water um, this year into the Oxnard Plain um, in related basins. So there has been a lot of um, recharge this year because of all the wet weather, which has been very fortunate. Great. Good to hear. Thank you very much. Other questions? All right. Thank you for the presentation and the uh, additional information. Thank you. All right. Uh, commissioners? Um, comments? Pardon me? Oh, do we have any pub uh, public comment? Chair Comden, we have no public speakers. Very good. I assumed as such, but okay, protocol. Here we go. Um, uh, Vice Chair? I, I didn't open the public hearing, did I? Well, it's opened and it's closed. <laughs> Just the way we like it. Vice Chair? Um, I wanted to ask what... What happens to this property, and, and this is probably a very small chance, but what happens to this property if the AWPF fails, like for some reason? This, does this just say Harbor Commercial, and then if we decided to do something different, we would be back here kind of talking about the same thing? That's correct. Basically, you're just laying out the pre-zoning right. determination, and that would remain regardless of what comes next. Okay. Should it be approved? I, I just would like to add that the... Um, the past year, we've we've gone over a lot of this with the Coastal Commission, and that was one of their main concerns. What if the AWPF site never never materializes? And so the um, the local coastal plan amendment is actually written so that there if there is any chance of anything else being built, it would be built to the same high standards and development standards that we would we were holding the AWPF to. My next question is, so this area is kind of notorious, I think, for unhoused. Is, are, are there any concerns with development of this property? And, and, and has that discussed, addressed in the future? What's the, 
I'll defer to the applicant for this one. Thank you. Okay. So um, yes, there, next door um, is the River ha River Haven Community. Um, you know, this this is a water site and it is a high security um, site anyway. So we will be having uh, you know all the standards that we need to have, and you know, so there will be um, you know very little ability for someone to be able to access this facility just because of the type that it is. Do we have any concerns for displacement? For Riverhaven or? Yeah. So currently um, our housing services division is, has applied for a grant that we are um, hopeful that we're going to receive. It's actually uh, to look at Riverhaven and relocating those that are living in Riverhaven or that area um, with an expansion to our ARC facility. So there is already a plan in place for rehousing those that are in that area. Um, I had another question about the there was a lot of discussion in, um, about enhanced public access, and I didn't, I mean, so I, this has no effect on the coastal public access. So what, what exactly are we talking about with enhanced public access? So we would actually like to um, have this facility be um, at least partially open to the public so that we can tell the story about um, you know, what we're doing here in Ventura. And so we are looking to, um, to somehow include public outreach as part of this and potentially having you know, some, um, some way for people to come in and do tours or to have you know, displays to be able to explain that would be accessible to the community. Very good. Okay. Thank you again. And for surety's sake, I'll close the public hearing. All right. Commissioners, deliberation? Comments? Motion? I'd like to make a Commissioner motion. Commissioner Abbey? I'd like to move staff's recommendation, and i just make a comment that uh, it's a project that's something that's sorely needed in the community. I want to thank Ventura Water and all the staff that have worked on this project that this is a fantastic thing that Ventura needs and uh, I'll be supportive. I'll, I'll second that and yeah, absolutely um, excited and, and supportive about this project. And um, yeah, to the, to the last point, you know, I've, I've been to the, the Oxnard one a few times because it is really accessible to the public and it's, and it's been a great education in the um, yeah, this water recycling is a is really important, and you know, there's impacts to any sort of way to address the the challenges that we're facing with water. Certainly, but um, I think one of the the strategies that I think maybe has the least least negative impacts and most positive impacts. So, great. Any other comments? Okay. Just a point of clarification. I just wanted to confirm staff's recommendation would include the um, amendments as put into the record today. Is that correct? Yes, it would. Very good. Let us vote. That motion passes unanimously. Well done. Thank you. All right. Now, item number four. Project 15335, City of San Buenaventura, sixth cycle housing element of the general plan. Netta, this is your, your turn. With Rachel's help. With Rachel's help. 
Thank you, Planning Commission. Next item is the housing element readoption. That's before you this evening. Uh, I'm, I understand that many of you were on the Planning Commission when the housing element was first adopted, but there have been some new members that have joined the Planning Commission. So I'm going to provide kind of housing element basics just to understand the policy document that's before you this evening. But I'm going to stay pretty high level and talk and, and focus really what's happened since the adoption of the housing element, which occurred on January 31st of 2022 by the City Council. So just a, the housing element as a policy document in general is uh, basically the city's housing policy document, which I have said several times this evening. Um, it is a part of the general plan, um, but it is the only part of the general plan that is required by state law to be certified by the state, and particularly by the State Department of Housing and Community Development, which I will reference several times this evening as HCD. And so HCD does review all of the city's housing elements across the state and uh, make sure that they comply with state law. And once they are satisfied with their review and compliance with state law, they certify that housing element. The housing elements updated every, uh, every eight years on a cycle. The last housing element cycle was the 2014 to 2021, which was the fifth cycle. And the current cycle that we are in is the 2021 to 2029 six cycle housing element. A lot of housing element state law changed between the fifth cycle and the sixth cycle. And there is a lot more information and detail in this housing element than in previous housing elements. Um, it was required of all of the cities that are in the SCAG region, which is the region that the city of Ventura is part of. It's the Association of Governments um, that are the Southern California portion, includes um, the LA area as well, had a deadline of, of adoption of this cycle of October 15th, 2021, with a 120-day grace period. We did adopt our housing element within that grace period, um, as I mentioned, which was January January 31st, 2022. Housing element has specific requirements by the state of the type of information that is included in it. Um, it is intended to accommodate projected housing demand mandated by the state through our regional housing needs allocation, which is referenced but as RENA, and I'll reference RENA several times this evening, every uh, SCAG or every COG or Council of Governments in the in the state of California is given a certain amount of housing units that it is uh, required to plan for in that housing cycle. Um, through the each of the Council of Governments, those are allocated through the different cities, and each city gets a certain amount of housing units that it has to plan for in every kind of income tier, um, whether that is market rate or different categories of affordability. Also, the housing element is required to increase housing production to meet that demand. Uh, specifically, how the state categorizes that is removing governmental constraints or barriers that would, would hinder the ability for housing to be produced in the city. It's also intended to preserve our existing affordable housing stock and improve the safety, quality, and conditions of that existing housing stock. 
It's also intended to facilitate the development of housing for all income levels and household types, including special needs population, both by the allocation of affordable housing, but also the preservation and protecting, protection of those affordable units and ways to remove barriers for affordability. The housing, the six cycle housing element itself and the, the components that are attached uh, as part of this action tonight are the housing element uh, document which has the policies and goals within it and then there's a lot of technical information and background that elaborates on those policies and then also about the sites that have been selected as part of the housing element that are located in the technical background report. And then also as part of this action, an addendum to the 2005 general plan EIR was performed as part of this action that is required for the re-adoption. Um, want to provide just a overview of the process leading up to the adoption of the, the housing element. There was um, many public uh, outreach events and informational sessions that were held as part of the housing element adoption. The ones that are shown in light blue are actual public hearings that were held as part of the adoption process. And then the other meetings were um, listed, stakeholder meetings, informational meetings um, in association with the general plan advisory committee were held, some study sessions with both planning commission and city council, and then the hearing adoption process that went through planning commission and, and city council in January of 2022. Since that January meeting, staff has submitted the document to HCD, the Housing um, and Community Development Department of the State, for its review. We've done three submittals with HCD since its adoption, and we've finally received a final letter from HCD uh, in, in June of this year indicating compliance with state law and requiring this readoption process before they were certified. So we are very close to the end. Um, it's being brought before you for readoption, and then from here, it'll go on to City Council on August 7th for their readoption. Staff is making a concerted effort to get this readopted by City Council before they go on their break so that we can submit to HCD and be certified to open up some funding that is available for us starting in August. And we are trying not to meet, miss that uh, funding cycle. Um, just a little more information about the housing plan. Again, the housing element itself. It has housing conservation, production of housing, provision of adequate housing sites. So the housing element does have two general components. A lot of policies of actions that the city must take to further the goals of what's outlined in the housing element and then an actual sites inventory. And the city goes through an extensive process of uh, identifying sites throughout the city that um, housing could be per produced on should that property owner or developer of that site choose to construct housing. Um, just at the last 
um, plan last, not the last, but the previous planning commission meeting, uh, the planning commission took action of rezoning several of those housing element sites. You, in essence, were implementing part of the policies that have already been outlined in this housing element. Though we've been going through this review period with HCD, we have still been working on the policies of the housing element in this interim time because they do have timelines associated with them and HCD is, is monitoring. Um, so it has a lot of uh, sites that are identified as adequate sites that housing could be developed on, and then there are a lot of policies related to removing governmental constraints to housing. A, a big portion of the housing element and why the state's re reviewing it in further detail with this cycle is they are actively trying to address the housing crisis and wanting cities to remove barriers in regulations, their zoning policies or practices that would be a hindrance or an impediment to the development of housing. Meaning if there are a lot of zoning regulations or requirements that make it cumbersome for a site to actually produce the amount of housing that is intended, the state would like to see those regulations be changed so that it no longer is an impediment to that development. There, this cycle also has affirmatively furthering fair housing. Um, that is a required portion of this, again, finding ways to provide equitable housing and affordable housing in the city. The uh, policies and programs that are outlined in the housing element, there are 33 of them um, with specific action items and goals and timelines associated with each of those programs. Uh, here on the screen is a general categorization of how those programs are broken down in the housing element and how they relate to the goals that the state is trying to see accomplished. Again, conserving existing housing supply, the production of housing, identifying adequate sites for the development of housing, removing government constraints, and pr promoting equal and equitable housing opportunities. Um, as I mentioned, there is arena obligation for the city to meet. The amount of units the city of Ventura was allocated are 5,312, and those, that number is broken up into the different income categories. The income levels are um, determined by the um, medium income of the Ventura County, and a certain amount of affordable units must be planned for um, in the city. And this table, which is also in the housing element, shows how those are how those are broken up. Um, so to comply with the arena, the city must allow housing growth by providing the adequate sites, reducing barriers. Um, process and acting on housing projects consistent with state law. This goes back to some of the pre previous projects that the Planning Commission has seen come through where staff does chime in and say and provide context that state law does require that if we have zoned for and allowed for housing on a site that we cannot deny it if uh, unless it poses a health and safety risk. Again, this is part of um, housing law that requires that we process and act on housing projects consistent to state law. 
there are external factors that um, are out of the city's control. Where the city has control, that's what's outlined in the housing element for the city to take action on providing the sites and removing barriers. The, the part of housing production that's out of the city's control um, is the availability of land, design professionals, construction labor, and the industries around producing housing, the supply of building materials, during COVID, um, there was supply chain issues that greatly affected um, the availability of building materi materials and increased the costs of construction. And then funding that a property owner or a developer would receive to construct that housing. So these are areas that we recognize and the state that recognizes are out of the city's control to be able to influence. They require that the city do what it can in the areas that are within our control to make the process as streamlined as possible so that development can occur, knowing that these external factors are a reality as part of housing production. So the city must plan for the arena numbers that are allocated and plan for housing growth to occur in the city. Just some statistics around the amount of units we were allocated this cycle, the 5,312 units over an eight-year cycle is roughly 664 units a year, about, or about 1.5% um, growth each year. The 2005 general plan, which is the um, general plan that is in place currently, had a capacity of 69,000 units which is about 25,000 more than what exists in this present day. If every unit of our arena allocation of those 5,312 units was built, we would still be less than what the 2005 general plan anticipated as part of uh, the 2029, uh, 2029 projection um, of that general plan. We have, uh, and to be clear, we have not seen a 1.5% growth in the city um, to date. It's been more like um, half a percent. Um, with that, staff is recommending the readoption of uh, the housing element in the staff report. There is more detailed information about what changes were made with um, every, every comment letter that was received from HCD during that review period, as well as a link to that draft document for each of those um, reviews that were done. Uh, that was all posted on our city website according to state law and allowed for a seven-day public comment period um, and then resubmitted to HCD and then we went through that again three times. Um, and so one of the main comments that came with the compliance letter that we received was that HCD wanted to see the resolution readopted with additional language and verbiage included in the resolution. Specifically, they wanted the city to acknowledge that the sites that have been selected in the sites inventory for the city of Ventura are uh, mainly developed sites. There are very few vacant sites left within the city, meaning that most of the redevelopment that occurs is going to occur on a site that already has development on it. Um, maybe low-scale development or an underutilized site, but since the city has passed the shore initiative and wants to protect its open space areas, it does require that the city look inward to infill sites. 
given that all of the housing element uh, sites do have what the state identifies as a barrier to housing because there is existing development. And so additional language was included in the resolution that identifies that yes, the sites that are selected in the site's inventory have existing development on it. We recognize that because the majority of the city of Ventura is developed. Uh, knowing that, we still selected sites that we believed were feasible, met the criteria of the state, and still had a potential for redevelopment in this cycle should that property owner or developer, developer choose to redevelop that site. Um, again, HCD wanted that specific, specific language in the resolution to be included, um, and that has been added in the resolution for the Planning Commission's consideration with the readoption of uh, the housing element. I do also want to point through the um, point out there is also information in there about the comments that we received through the rounds of review with the public. Um, should you want more information about the nature of those comments, I'm happy to to go into further detail. Um, but with that, I that concludes staff's presentation, and I'm available for any questions. Thank you very much, Nena. Commissioners, question for staff. Yes, Commissioner Abbey. Well, first of all, I want to thank the staff. Uh, what a complicated but extremely well-written document. So I want to acknowledge that up front. Staff did a good job. Um, but I am concerned. And uh, so my question, I want to take uh, our interim community development director, Netta, up on her uh, offer to uh, that you just made to share some of the public comment. So what was some of the positive feedback you received and what was some of the negative uh, feedback that you received uh, throughout the process? Uh, I, I know we're not seeing any comments tonight. That we didn't see any public comment. No one's speaking to it. Uh, there's no comment letters. But I know it's been a long process. So can you fill us in on what you've seen from the public? Sure. Early on in the process, while it was going through its initial adoption phase, we did receive um, a lot of public comment and uh, letters and requests for changes to the housing element from Homes for All, which is a coalition of residents and um, uh, advocacy groups in the city of Ventura. Um, and we did, uh, during that process, spend a lot of time talking through the comments um, and requests for changes with that group that did occur prior to adoption. By the time we did get to adoption of the housing element, they were supportive almost entirely of the housing element policies that were drafted at that time. Uh, with each round of review, Homes for All has submitted a support letter to the state um, endorsing the housing element um, and the policies that were included in it. After the first comment letter that was received from HCD, um, which resulted in the most of the changes that occurred to the housing element, that first comment letter want, wanted a lot more specificity as it related to the policies that were written. There were um, 
more, more vague language, we will explore, we will look into, um, and, and HCD did want specificity and commitment of timelines and actions. One of the particular policies that they had identified was that they um, looked into the zoning and regulations of the city and identified that in our form-based code areas, which are where uh, the majority of the mixed use and housing um, uh, is allowed in the city, um, outside of just the straight residentially zoned areas, that the height limits were uh, a lot less in those areas than our commercial industrial zones. Our commercial industrial zones do allow six stories and 75 feet, and they raised the question that uh, why does the city of Ventura's regulations allow six, story, six stories and 75 feet for commercial industrial uses but not residential? And they de defined that as a... Uh, governmental constraint or barrier to housing production. When HCD identifies a governmental constraint, we are required by law to address it, um, meaning that the city is not unable to then respond back and say, we understand, but we are not going to address this constraint. So they did. we did have a policy in there that said we would look into um, comparable heights in the form-based code areas and the commercial and industrial zones with our initial draft of the housing element. HCD said that that was not uh, specific enough and they required us to provide specific action around that. Um, so the city looked at uh, what amendments we could make in the form-based code area that would be the least impactful amendment that the city could make uh, to that. And um, in the Midtown Development Corridor Code, there is an area um, along the corridor that has a overlay placed on it that restricts heights to two stories. The remainder of the corridor allows three stories, and in some parts of it adjacent to the Five Points Hospital area, it allows it to go up to six stories. We committed, again, because HCD wanted specific action, that we would come back and remove that overlay that was restricting two stories to allow for three stories in that area. And um, that, that additional language was included. There was concern from uh, the the public, um, I believe some due to some misinformation, um, which we did pro provide clarification around, but just concerns about increasing the heights on the Midtown Corridor. And uh, we did provide feedback and provided all of those comments to HCD, but that change is included in the housing element that by 2024 that we would look at removing the um, I believe it's called the residential one overlay within the Midtown Development Corridor. With subsequent rounds of review um, and public comment, the, the next round, I believe, only generated two public comments. One was a support letter from Homes for All, and one was just some questions around the Pacific View Mall site. Okay. Um, so I know the housing advocacy groups uh, homeless groups so, uh, that are trying to end homelessness and so forth had were initially um, contacted. I don't know if there was a roundtable, but it seems like staff had a lot of contact with those groups. What was the extent of the public outreach or, or to community councils? 
So as this um, timeline identifies, th this is all the, the public engagement that occurred um, during the initial adoption. So there were stakeholder meetings, there were two housing informational items in collaboration with the GPAC, they were joint meetings. Um, those were open to the public and advertised to the public. Um, both of those were well attended. There was a planning commission city council study session that was held on the preliminary draft. Um, and, and that all occurred before the planning commission hearing and city council hearing. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Zucker. Thank you. Um, yeah, first off, just want to congratulate staff on uh, getting here. I know it's been a really long road, um, and a lot of cities throughout the state and certainly in our region have had a lot of challenges getting a certified housing element, and so it's a, it's a big deal to be here, and you know, I know it took, took a ton of work. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I was trying to look through the, um, you know, as, as you know, of course, Netta, one of my interests has, has been around, around tenant protections, and um, you know, of course, it's a long document. I was, I was trying to look through and find it, and I, I'm not seeing it in there. I don't, I don't know if it was removed or if I just can't, uh, but I thought it was originally there as one of the programs or policies. It is. It is program number 32, um, specifically labeled tenant protections. Perfect. Thanks so much. Very good. Vice Chair Lagerquist. Yeah, I, I would like to reiterate the congratulations. Like, this thing is a beast, and doing multiple, you know, um, rounds with the state I know is very challenging. The only thing I wanted to ask is in the future if, and, and maybe this isn't possible, but when, when we have something that comes back to us like this, if a red line strike out could be submitted to us so that we can see the changes and try, avoid, you know, what Commissioner Zucker was talking about as far as trying to leaf through and figure out what changed and so forth. So, but otherwise, you know, congrats. Thank you, Vice Chair Lagros. Absolutely. Um, we did try to get this to you quickly so we couldn't, because with every round of resubmittal, we accept the changes from the last round and make new highlights and track changes for HCD's next review. So each round is a different iteration of it. There isn't like a master track change. They require us to like wipe the slate clean for what they, and then highlight whatever their comments are for the next town. So that's why we attached each piece, and, and I apologize, it is a little cumbersome going through which is why I tried to kind of bullet point what changed in it. Um, but yes, next time we'll keep a separate, like master copy track change version too. So I apologize for that. Other comments? Commissioner Busa? I, I will just have to also add to the kudos because I know this has been a long journey and I do appreciate in the staff report calling out the, the changes that were made because it was hard to <laughs> get through the entire document. But um, great job to the staff. Is great. Good. Okay, I'm going to rapid fire because I called uh, Netta yesterday. Uh, annual monitoring of the city's progress in meeting its housing needs. How will that be accomplished? So the state requires an annual report be submitted to them every year with the progress that the city has made on the housing element, including very specific details of how many units are entitled in the plan check phase, have been constructed during that period, the update on how uh, the progress of the programs has been done. Um, that's required to be submitted to HCD um, in April. 
and then it gets posted on our city website. We're happy to share that with the Planning Commission too, but all of the previous annual reports are posted on the city website on the housing element page. I bring that up because they're best laid plans, but if you don't execute, then what are we doing, right? Um, change the threshold uh, for historic consideration to 50 years, so unless you're an avid lover of stucco, um, why can't there be an eight-month eight objective instead of an eight-year? <laughs> Is that something that can move more quickly than, than not? We are doing it as part of the general plan update. Yeah, okay, very good. Um, pursue funding available to state and federal levels for affordable housing development. Now, the city doesn't build such housing, so can you just comment on what that funding does, identifying those things and then matching developers with the funding? Yeah, there's a variety of um, state and federal funding that this city can apply for, including grants. CDBG is a part of that kind of funding that can be allocated for affordable housing and supportive housing programs. We recently received a PHLA grant for $1.1 million that can be used for uh, affordable or supportive housing. What happens is the city obtains that funding. We release a notice of funding availability or a NOFA that allows affordable housing developers to apply to use that funding. The funding is managed by us but used by them and um, a lot of affordable housing developers rely on being able to pool all of this different funding to be able to construct affordable housing. As I mentioned, we are trying to get this adopted by August to meet our next NOFA cycle to release $1.1 million for an affordable or supportive housing project to apply for. Uh, we are aware of projects in the city that are waiting for that allocation to apply for it. Um, one such project is the La Quinta project where... Um, they are looking to turn the La Quinta into supportive housing. So we, we're, we are also constantly playing this game of trying to, to release more funding for these types of projects. Okay, NOFA, that's a new acronym for me. Um, ADUs, there's been an awful lot of discussion about ADUs and our target is to have six of them built a year. Um, is that all that cities are really, I mean, it seems so inconsequential. It does seem really inconsequential. It's a great question. The state actually really limits the ability of projections for the number of ADUs, and it has to be based on um, past actual construction of ADUs. Yeah. Obviously, in the past, we had less ADUs construct constructed prior to changes to state law, and now we're seeing an uptick in ADUs throughout the region and in Ventura. So um, we can adjust that as it changes. So when the real number of ADUs comes in and gets constructed, those count towards our arena. We just can't project them out in the way that we anticipate them actually being yeah. built. And then um, 20, uh, promote uh, Cal FHA grants of up to $25,000 per homeowner to assist in ADU construction. Is that currently in place and are people taking advantage of that or is that an opportunity for us? It is not currently in place. It would be a program that we would be putting together. Okay, very good. Hopefully that helps. Um, live work projects. Um, I know in some cities, and I know that as evolve, the evolution of work and uh, the makers type of careers, um, I, I see opportunity with live work, and uh, especially south of uh, Main Street um, towards the DMV area, that industrial area. Um, 
Are we putting some kind of emphasis on that, or can you comment on the live-work opportunities in the city? So the, the majority of our form-based coded areas, such as the downtown specific plan, the Midtown Development Corridor Code, um, the Victoria Development Code area, um, and some other areas do have live work as a building type. And so you may have seen in recent projects um, that have come through in planning commission and future ones that you will see, they will identify that this is a mixed-use building with this many units and this many live-work units, so we are seeing them constructed. I think the most successful example of it is the portside development in the harbor area was built with commercial facing the promenade, and then the upper floors are our live-work units, and they have been very successfully rented out. So we are seeing um, an interest in live-work units and them being constructed and occupied. Okay. Uh, I'm looking in the eight-year objectives, uh, 1411, the Pacific View Mall currently is zoned. It's interesting, I just read a piece today, which I would like to pass on to you, to pass on to the rest of the commissioners. In San Diego, two large malls in Mission Valley, were z the zoning changed, and the very next day they were sold, and the intent now is to convert them to housing projects. So uh, that's very interesting to me. Um, housed point in time I, I'm surprised to read the point in time count was 386 unsheltered residents um, I thought it was more than that it, does that sound right so we we the city did just do a recent point in time which that is not what's captured in the housing element as this is yeah a, historic a, a older um, version um, the the point in time counts were adjusted. Um, the homelessness plan is under preparation, and our housing services manager Leona Rollins will be coming to the planning commission probably in October and give kind of a comprehensive update of, of our current point in time counts and the homelessness plan and kind of more of a comprehensive update. But that that number has changed. Great, you answered my next question. Um, Vacation rentals. Um, I know uh, that in some cities they constitute a significant number of residences. Um, and I believe some preliminary studies have been done here, but do we really have a firm grasp on how many homes in this community are being used as such? And what about the potential for regulation or at least uh, some, some capture of data on that moving forward? So our housing services division um, does monitor our STVRs and there is a permit process that they are required to go through application process. Um, so we do have a number of the amount of um, registered um, vacation rentals that we have in the city. We did just recently purchase new software and a program and consultant that's going to help monitor that and um, make sure, one, that we are collecting TOT taxes for those that are and monitoring the amount of legal and illegal STVRs. The city attorney's office is currently working on an update to the ordinance um, for that for that purpose. It was one of city council's goals this year to update the STVR ordinance. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, again, using San Diego as an example, they have gone to a permit by area. Mission Beach has a limited number, and they sold out. And 
Um, I think some cities will be looking at that model as we move forward because it's displacing full-time residents with short-term rentals. And while it's a business opportunity, um, it's lessening the housing stock. Um, I think I've probably asked enough questions. Thank you. <laughs> Any other questions of staff? Yes, Commissioner Zucker. So I just had one more question that, that came up in my mind. I know when you were passing the inclusionary housing ordinance, you know, we, there was a little bit of concern of, you know, how will ACD respond to that? Do we know if, have they seen our, our updated ordinance? And, you know, um, yeah, did, did they have reactions to it or? They haven't. It was an action item that was identified in the housing element that we create a inclusionary housing ordinance. So we get to, to tick that off. Um, we are required to submit to HCD um, our ADU ordinance and our inclusionary housing ordinance. So those things are then sent up to them. Okay. So they, they've seen the one that we, that we passed? Yes. Or, okay. Great. Exciting. No more questions? All right. I do. Okay, Commissioner Abbey. Um, I wanted to ask Netta because uh, this falls under the umbrella of how housing element and uh, inclusionary housing. Did council um, act on in lieu fees? They did. This past Monday, they adopted the in lieu fees for this um, year, this fiscal year. And how aggressive was it in terms of promoting? trying to get them built as opposed to being able to n not necessarily build them within their existing project, but set aside money for it to go on the offsite. So um, the fees were calculated ba based on financial analysis um, that was done by Kirsten, uh, Miser Kirsten, who did the um, inclusionary housing ordinance itself. Um, for example, a for sale single family home would generate between a forty-five to fifty thousand dollar in lieu fee um, to not construct it. Uh, I think more more so the carrot or incentive for a developer not to do the in lieu fee is that more commonly we are seeing developers use the state density bonus law and the concessions and waivers um, for um, flexibility and development standards that they would only be able to get by constructing the affordable units. So uh, even though there's an in lieu fee option, we still believe that the production will still occur um, for the desire for the concessions and waivers. Okay, thank you. Um, I have some comments before we vote, but that's it for now. All right. Um, Madam Clerk, do we have public speakers? Chair Condon, we have two public speakers. Our first speaker is Karen Flock, followed by Kyler Carlson. Very good. I will open the public hearing. Good evening, Planning Commissioners. My name is Karen Flock. I am the Deputy Director for Real Estate Development with the Housing Authority of the City of San Buenaventura. And I'm also a member of Homes for All and a resident of Midtown Ventura. Um, and I request that you recommend approval of the housing element. As has been mentioned, staff and the consultant have worked exhaustively with the community and HCD to develop a housing element that meets state requirements. And the housing element is an important document to facilitate housing, especially affordable housing. And just to give a few examples of affordable housing developments that 
have happened or are in the works that have been helped by the housing element, past or future. Um, the Housing Authority has been able to develop 236 new family apartments at Westview. We have another 50 um, affordable senior apartments in construction. We completed 50 um, affordable senior apartments at Willett Ranch. Um, on the east side, the, um, the community of friends is developing 122 affordable apartments for veterans. And People Self-Help is working on a project for affordable housing across the street from Ventura College. Um, not having an approved housing element has prevented access to financing for affordable housing, including, um, I'm also a member of the Board of Directors of the Housing Trust Fund of Ventura County, and we've received state funding for um, our housing trust fund, but in the last two rounds, uh, the, well, it, this funding can only be used in jurisdictions that had approved housing elements when the funding was approved for. So, so far that funding can't be used in Ventura. And then Netta also mentioned the PLHA funding is only available once the housing element is approved. So a couple of comments. Again, appreciate your support. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Fluck. And our final speaker is Kyler Carlson. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Kyler Carlson. I'm speaking tonight on behalf of Homes for All. Um, we, Netta mentioned that we had written a letter in support of the, after the third round of revisions for the um, home, Homes for All supports the readoption of the housing element. Um, we're a, broad coalition of residents that are just concerned about the lack of affordable housing in our city. Um, and we wanna do everything we can to be inc increasing that supply of affordable housing. Um, this has been a very, very lengthy process and kudos to city staff for surviving the process. Um, it's, we're excited to, to see it finally um, in its last legs getting adopted um, so we can move on to focusing on implementation because Chair Comden, I think it was you who had mentioned that there's a lot of great policies in there and we're excited to be, uh, Homes for All is excited to be partnering with the city and working in the ways that we can to um, be increasing the supply of affordable housing. So again, I encourage you to readopt the housing element tonight. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Carlson. With that, I will close the public hearing and bring it back. Do we have any further questions or comments? Yes, Commissioner Busa. Um, another government agency that we speak of frequently in here in the city of Ventura is the Coastal Commission. And when I look at that last slide that you had up talking about the various programs coming in, one of the things I noticed was the density bonus. And we dealt with a, a project a couple weeks or a couple months ago uh, in regards to density bonus. Is, can you speak to which agency oversees what when we talk about coastal areas as HCDs, like when we adopt these programs and we, we, we adopt the, yes, um, the, the housing elements and we talk about like, this is an HCD requirement, yet when we get into a project that falls within the coastal zone and we get feedback from the Coastal Commission, how is that how do we, who, who supersedes what? How, how do we handle that? Maybe a question for city attorney. Uh, I'm not sure that's a clear or, or, or yeah, a clear or um, uh, bright line answer to that question. There, there are competing interests at work 
between what HCD does and what the Coastal Commission is required to protect. Um, fundamentally, it depends on specifically what the project is and what, what issues are in place. Uh, there will probably be contexts, as we've seen, and we'll likely see in the future where, where there, there are um, uh, I don't know, restrictions or, or where there's some pushback between the comparative um, interests in play. Um, I can tell you that uh, the density bonus law was amended um, to, to address uh, the relationship between the Coastal Act and the density bonus law in 2018. Um, and essentially, this is, it's frankly not very clear and there hasn't been a lot of recent litigation on the matter. Um, but the gist of it is that um, for a policy decider such as yourselves, uh, you, are, you are supposed to look at the relative uh, benefits to one set of policy goals versus the relative, relative benefits of the other policy goals. Uh, beyond that, it really depends on the details. Thank you. So in the housing element, we have identified and the state did want to identify that um, updating uh, that our updating our local coastal program was necessary, and that we did identify the fact that it does need updating as a governmental constraint, and um, that is why, with the general plan update, we have committed to updating our local coastal program, as that has not comprehensively happened since the eighties. Commissioner Zucker, I want to thank. Thank again, staff, for all their all their work on this and and all the the many back and forth iterations. Um, you know, and in particular, I think that the engagement with with housing advocates and Homes for All, I think that was really important, and I think it really over over time strengthened the you know the housing element that we have, uh, as well as the the back and forth with HDCD. I think strengthened the, the housing element as much as it was. <laughs> you know, I know a, a frustrating long process. Um, you know, and and nothing's ever perfect. I know there there are things that I. I certainly advocated for strongly around kind of moving up the timeline on tenant protections, but you know I think overall there were um, so many pieces in here included as a result of the, the advocacy from our community and, and you know housing experts in our, our community that um, yeah just think the the openness and willing to listen willingness to listen on the you know on the part of our, our staff was um, yeah really really valuable um, and I think this the fact that we're here after a long road as as you know. Um, as Karen Flock mentioned, I think the 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 biggest, other than you know the the kind of whole builders remedy stuff, but but you know I think the the biggest thing that this really means is that we're eligible for a lot of funding that we wouldn't be able to access if we didn't have a certified housing element, and um, that's really really important. And so, um, you know, congratulations again on getting through the hard part, which is the you know the the. Many, many, many uh, long days that I'm sure went into this, and now uh, good luck on the even harder part, uh, which is actually taking all of these programs and policies and plans and doing them and making them happen. So uh, good luck to, to, I guess, staff and, and us too as, as, a, as planning commission and, and trying to make this as much of a reality as it possibly can be. I couldn't have said it better, so congratulations on all the work. I thank the community. Uh, this is really a, a multi-prong input uh, product and uh, I'm proud to be a part of it so well done I do have one question uh, before I ask for a resolution or a uh, motion 
Uh, I noticed in the literature that the demographics of the city are evolving. It appears that mature adults are increasing as a percentage, and households with school-aged children, or at least the attendance at schools, is on the decline. How does something like that factor in, and, and is, how is it addressed in, in any form uh, in this way as we move forward? That is a great question, a very complicated question. That it is. Um, I think part of the desire of the state and the removal of governmental constraints to increase the affordable production of housing is part of the effort to um, allow for um, younger families, uh, workforce housing, young professionals to continue to live in the communities. Um, we are seeing that a lot of them are being priced out and kind of the aging population or even uh, more so than the aging population, we have a population that has are mostly 30 plus year longtime residents and homeowners. And so we have a population that are homeowners in this community and then we are seeing um, less so of renters and, and um, uh, fam young families. And so the, the goal and part of this is to open up the production of housing so those type of um, demographics, age range, socioeconomic diversity can remain in the community. So all of the programs that are outlined here are all in an attempt to kind of comprehensively address housing and housing stability so that those type of different income levels, socioeconomic levels, age levels can remain in the community. Yeah, that's, it's a concern of mine um, as we move forward because with declining enrollments, the schools are going to find it harder, and those younger families are the in acquisition phase. They keep the retail going and, and the services and things of this sort. So well, it, it's complicated. I know that. And the other thing that struck me in the report is um, that 44% of Ventura households earned lower income, 80% or less of the county medium. Uh, how does that compare to other cities in this area? Are, are we, uh, how, how does that compare? In terms of that percentage of the population, I think it would be, it would depend on the community you compare us to. Um, I think if you would um, kind of compare us across the state, it's probably low. Meaning lower, 44% uh, is a low statistic compared to other communities across the state? Meaning that um, communities across the state probably have a low, uh, smaller percentage yeah. um, than yeah. the city of Ventura does. That's one of the challenges. It's one of the more expensive communities. I've heard it said we're in the top three unaffordable communities nationwide. And this, and is, this is a problem. And one of the top communities that, um, from statistics and doing the housing element, that has, um, over the past three decades, produced the least amount of housing. Yeah. Yeah. Tough. All right. Further comments? Okay. Uh, Commissioner Abbey. Sorry, I didn't look. Um, this is kind of hard. Um, we need housing. We need affordable housing. I was uh, on the 
voted yes when we voted on the inclusionary housing ordinance, or at least I, I had intended to vote yes. I was sick that particular night, but I would have voted yes. In fact, I would have voted yes to go even deeper in inclusionary affordability. But I was glad to see the Planning Commission and in turn the City Council approve inclusionary housing ordinance. Um, we have a RENA of 5,300 and I'm gonna round it off, 60. I, I'm, I'm off, but it's around 5,300. This is a good plan, it's a detailed plan. Staff has done a great job. I'm, my concern is that, you know, Homes for All, Housing Authority, I'm not concerned with them. They did what they were needed to do. They were great advocates for their, for what they believe in. I believe in the, their intent and the elements of them too. I'm concerned about the process and community buy-in. And I did not, you know, as far as um, groups that were consulted up front, it, it didn't seem like uh, community councils were in, really included in the conversation. It seemed like it was all centered on housing advocates and what do they do? They advocate for housing and, and they, do an, they did an excellent job. So I have to commend them for what they've done. Um, if my my con, uh, concern is that this does too good of a job. It's going, if we don't get the 5,360 uh, units, there's, some, there's something wrong because this is a very aggressive plan. And um, so, I commend those who want to see more housing. How it's gone about, um, I have some concerns. Could you please turn to slide number 44? I won't go into a lot of detail because I am assuming I'm in the minority tonight and so I'm not gonna belabor the point, but I have concerns. Well, first of all, there's 33 programs and most of them are fantastic. So I wanna commend staff and housing advocates for that as well. So that's, I acknowledge that and that's a good thing. And a lot of good is gonna come out of this plan. Um, but I have concerns with program 14, how the RENA sites were arrived at. I'm not gonna quibble and go into any site specific uh, points, but I think if it had a more, communities had been consulted more like it was during the GPRAC process, um, I don't think I would be as concerned. Number 15, I want affordable housing, but by right approval for any type of housing, including affordable, I have concerns with. Uh, number 24, affordable housing overlay. Um, if the, the devil's in the details, you know, what areas are con of town are included, what aren't. Uh, program number 28, streamline processing procedures. Uh, to the extent that uh, procedures streamline in terms of making programs uh, building faster, that's good, but that needs to be weighed with feedback from the community and the community's input, and I don't want to see the community's input be compromised. Um, so while there's many good things to support in this uh, package, and I understand we need a certified housing element, um, 
I agree. I'm not going to hold it up, but I'm not going to be able to support this tonight. Thank you. All right. Um, seeing no other request to speak, would someone like to make a motion, please? Commissioner Zucker. I'd like to move to approve staff recommendation. Do we have a second? Second. All right. Any further discussion? All right. Let's take a vote, please. That motion carries four to one. All right. Very good. Thank you. Well done. Here we go. Thank you. Okay. Um, staff communications. Thank you, Chair Common Commission. Um, just want to give a couple of quick updates on some um, activity that's going on in the city. On August seventh, uh, the planning or the city council, I'm, I apologize, will be hearing the appeal of the 211 project that was approved by the planning commission. Um, just wanted to bring that your, to your attention that planning commission action was appealed to the city council and that will be heard on August 7th. Um, the housing element will move on from here um, with the recommendation from planning commission to the August 7th city council meeting again to um, for their consideration of the readoption. So uh, both of the housing element and the appeal will be on the August 7th city council meeting. Um, for the next uh, meeting of the Planning Commission, we will be talking about the land use map. I do want to clarify, I know there was public comment earlier that the Planning Commission will be reviewing the land use element. I, I just want to be clear, the whole land use element will not be coming to the Planning Commission, just the land use map. Um, the land use element has not been drafted. The, the elements of the, the general plan still need to be drafted. What will be coming is um, what we are hoping is the preferred land use map or the consensus land use map. As was indicated, it's been about a year and a half process with the general plan advisory committee as well as the public through uh, many public meetings, workshops, um, online surveys, uh, general plan advisory committee meetings, going through parcel by parcel land use changes in the city. We do have two members of the planning commission who are on the general plan advisory commission. That is Chair Comden and Commissioner McCarty that uh, were specifically selected as, as well as two city council members to be on the GPAC to be involved in those intimate details. The intent and goal of this process was that our hope is that we have a, a consensus around a land use map, and therefore the discussion will, will be about all the changes that have been discussed and talked about in detail with the community and the general plan advisory committee who's really dug into the details in hopes that they have done a lot of the background work and leg work as the advisory committee to both the planning commission and city council to flush out a lot of those changes, discussions, and details. And so so um, we will be uh, providing material as, as soon as possible to the Planning Commission just to give you additional time to look at it. There is currently a land uh, 
two feedback forms on um, the preferred land use map that are circulating in the public right now. One is a high level um, feedback form for those that may have not been intimately involved in the process just to give feedback on general vision of the different areas and policy um, framework that's being developed and then one is a much more detailed that goes into the specific maps for those that have been really engaged in the, the process to provide feedback. We have about um, 600 responses so far to that survey. It is open till August 2nd and then we will be compiling all of that data um, and a summary for the Planning Commission for the August meeting and again we'll release that as soon as poss possible so um, I will be sending out an email with more information and then following up it is a lot of information please feel free to reach out to me I'm happy to meet with um, each of you individually to go over any of that information ask any detailed questions anything that the Commission needs to um, digest and review that information. I want to make sure you know that I'm available, um, as well as Matt Ramey and, and of Ramey and Associates, who's been the consultant for the past three years working on this alongside us. So um, quick updates on, on that. Thank you. Commissioner Abbey. I'm, I'm sorry, Commissioner Abbey, is your mic on? I'm having a little bit difficulty hearing you. I'm sorry. Nada, was there any discussion all at the staff level regarding possibly allowing Planning Commission to have two shots at it, to not drink from the fire hose? And as I've mentioned many times previously at many meetings, my fear was that we would not be able, as a group of seven, be able to work together. I can see asking staff and Ramey one-on-one, -on -one, but that's not the same as a group dynamic where we work together collegially to come to a solution. And I do understand that the GPAC has worked at this quite a bit. Um, I was not on GPAC, but I've probably engaged with at least half of their meetings. So I'm pretty familiar with it, but I, you know, I don't know to what extent my colleagues, besides Commission, uh, Chair Comden and Commissioner McCarty, have engaged. My second concern is the public. Uh, jamming all sections of the city into one night, I don't think is fair to the public. And as I mentioned earlier, concerns about community input and so forth, I feel very strongly that we need more community input, allow people to have their three minutes to speak, let, let's let the process work through uh, asking for one additional meeting is not asking too much. And I know Chair Comden in our previous meeting, I don't know how he feels tonight, but had expressed concern about trying to digest at Planning Commission with the public in one meeting all of this. So I, I'm expressing my concerns and I'm requesting that we have at least two Planning Commission meetings prior to going to City Council. So, uh, thank you, Commissioner Abbey. Understand the concerns, and thank you that y you have. I have seen many GPAC meetings and community meetings, and um, through the three rounds of community councils that we've gone through through this process, we we too very much value public input engagement. Um, and I, I just want to maybe push back a little bit on the notion that the public hasn't been involved because we have taken great lengths to do. 
a lot of workshops, a lot of pop-up events, a lot of stakeholder meetings, uh, many GPAC meetings which are open to the public, uh, online surveys, um, and focus groups, and so uh, I, I just want to say we value it too, and I don't want this to, to for um, the feeling to be left that we, we as staff and the consultant don't value that. Um, through the, you know, through um, the material that's dispersed to the, to the planning commission and then at the next meeting, if, if you all take a look at it and feel that you need additional time, we can absolutely discuss that. We pick specific dates because when we released the feedback form, we wanted to also provide the next steps for the community of the next hearing dates. And so we did identify hearing dates that it would go forward to. We did also provide a general plan update progress report to city council at, uh, initially intended at July 10th that got pushed to this Monday's meeting where we did share this schedule with the city council again to to walk through that um, specifically you know the, the, the kind of goal and target was to, to um, talk through land use and get to a preferred land use um, map so that we can start work on the EIR and the other elements um, and and looking for city council's uh, endorsement of a schedule where we would be bringing the um, general plan for them for adoption by roughly this time next year. So um, absolutely, as the Planning Commission takes a look at the land use map at the next meeting, if you believe you can talk through the different areas or the proposed changes, uh, in general, there is no new capacity being added. We are making some changes from area to area, but it's basically from the 2005 general plan to this general plan, a wash in development capacity. Um, it is a, a um, not a significant amount of land use changes. So we thought that it could potentially be discussed in one meeting, but we'll let the Planning Commission look at that at the August meeting. And if you feel that you need additional time, we can discuss a, an additional meeting and how that proceeds. But we didn't, we didn't uh, jump right to a, a series of meetings for either the Planning Commission or City Council. That's really addition, a decision for Planning Commission and City Council at that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm respectful of the fact that three commissioners will have not really been a part of this until they receive this information. Four, four commissioners? Oh, that's right. Um, and so um, I, I concur with uh, Commissioner Abbey that I would like to have a leisurely uh, uh, time frame whereby everybody can digest it and the community has the opportunity. Now, they may not show up because they've been coming to our, our GPAC meetings, et cetera, but uh, I concur with you. Commissioner uh, Zucker. I'd like to agree on the kind of general sentiment with maybe a slightly different, you know, uh, uh, approach, but I think, you know, certainly hear you, Netta, around the, I think the public has had ample opportunities to engage, you know, we as the Planning Commission, maybe as individuals have had the opportunity to attend GPAC, but, but you know, as a deliberating body, I think, you know, we, we certainly need the, the time to engage, and I think that's different from the, the public engagement. I guess what I would offer to staff is, I think it's highly likely it will take more than one meeting anyway, um, and it may be, you know, uh, wise foresight to, to plan for that. I, when I think of the most controversial items that I've seen come to the Planning Commission, um, you know, from streamlining to the, the six-story, 
you know, downtown project that, that we voted on, they ended up, you know, you get so many public comments, and I imagine we will have many, uh, that, you know, the, the, just the public comment portion goes late into the night. You know, at the end, we're all feeling bleary-eyed and, you know, and, and uh, you know, and overwhelmed. There's a continuance to the next meeting, right? Um, and I would imagine it's, it's very likely that same dynamic could, could happen, and so I, I think, you know, we may want to plan for that. Um, I... So I guess the where I think you know maybe slightly different from from Commissioner uh, I I don't think it's a good idea to split um, certain neighbor do certain neighborhoods on one night and certain neighborhoods on the other night. I actually think you know the city is important as a whole, you know, and it's very easy for everyone in one neighborhood to say, well, all the housing should go over in that other people's neighborhood, right? Um, and it's easy for people to say that when they're being thought they're thinking in isolation for only their own community, right? Um, and so I think there's real value in having everyone in the city in the same place when we're when we're discussing things like this, um, you know. But yeah, maybe maybe it makes sense to plan for two meetings, or maybe do a, I forget even the term that's used a, a work session or study session when when you have a meeting that's you know an initial meeting where you don't plan on taking an action or or making motions. You're just kind of digesting information, and then a second meeting that would be where we might actually take action. So that's just my suggestion. Thank you for your comments. Commissioner Abbey. Um, yeah, I wanted to piggyback on Commissioner Zucker's comment, and I wanted to mention to Netta that I think staff has done an, a very good job in this process. I'd just like to see it continue at the very la end, last stage, do a good job right up to the end. And I think that, so I want to commend staff for what they've been doing and the, the uh, Lamia and Associates. Um, I just this is just brainstorming, and I don't know if we're allowed to do that. This, but I'm just going to take a second to do it. Two ways to to do it would be to divide the city in half and do one one part uh, half of the city, and the other half at another meeting. But I'm starting to be intrigued by what Commissioner Zucker suggested. Perhaps we go in one meeting in a workshop through all as a planning commission workshop go through all of the sections of town and find out where are the points of contention it might be as we go through each section of town that maybe there's only one or two actual areas uh, that are contentious and you know in some parts of town they're actually down zoning that might not be quite as controversial but at least as we walk through in the workshop, just as uh, uh, staff did with the GPAC uh, Zoom meeting very recently. You know that meeting that staff just had? You were on that. Uh, Mr. Ramey was on that. The open house, uh, office hours, house. yes. Yeah, the general plan preferred land use map uh, open house. Walk through that provide plenty of time and make that the only uh, item on the agenda and make sure that we thoroughly go through that with the intention, understanding that we're not gonna take action at the first meeting, but the second meeting, you know, whatever we indicated was a concern at the first meeting, then we would definitely, and then people would know agendas in advance. Okay, be ready for that second meeting because this is where it's going to be the recommendations actually coming. That would be my suggestion.
So um, I'm just going to take this as an open dialogue. Um, I would prefer not to do a workshop. Um, I think we've already advertised to through the land use forums and social media that this is coming to the August 23rd Planning Commission meeting, which is a regular scheduled public hearing. Um, and so uh, if I could make a suggestion, similarly to the open house where we go area by area through the land use changes, we will have the presentation and all the material and be here to walk through the, the planning commission through all of those. If you should decide at that meeting that you need more time to discuss, you are always welcome to continue the item to another meeting. Um, I, I would recommend we not st structure it so much that you don't have the flexibility either way. Just like any project that comes before you, you have the ability to continue the item. You have the ability to table the item. Um, and so if through that, th that presentation and discussion, you may find that you are comfortable with the changes and the, the land use feedback form surveys have all come um, in agreement and consensus with the changes that are made and that the community and the GPAC are all advising the changes that um, have been proposed through the process. Or you may feel like you need to dig in further. Absolutely want to provide the flexibility to do that. Uh, my recommendation that we leave it open for either or action from um, the Planning Commission. And then secondly, that if we do continue it to a, another meeting, that we schedule a special meeting for that to occur. The um, agendas for the Planning Commission for the rest of the, of the year are very impacted. We have a lot of projects and initiatives that will be coming through Planning Commission. And so I want to be mindful this is a very important topic, and if additional time is needed, uh, I just don't want to have a reverse effect that the other projects and items that are needing planning commission consideration and action are delayed several months um, in, in wait for that. So um, if, if the planning commission is comfortable with that, then you know the night of the meeting or ahead of that meeting, we can discuss special meeting times that we could special um, schedule a special meeting of the Planning Commission for further discussion. I like that idea. Uh, I, th I, I would vote for, for that because we don't know. It, it could be an empty house, everyone having already articulated what they need to at the GPAC, or it could be a full house, and we, we'll probably know. I just, there's going to be a burden on, on the commissioners that have not been up to speed on this, and for that I apologize, but um, uh, I think it is likely we would go to a second meeting so um, uh, and the order in which we would take the uh, areas can that be defined for the next meeting so that perhaps you can do the first how many how many um, areas have we identified um, so the it, there's um, between 9 and 11 areas. Some of the areas are, for example, the SOAR areas where there is no desire for change from the GPAC or the, plan the community. So there are some areas that are, I think, kind of easier to tackle. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of areas that probably will take some more time, but uh, having, you know, kind of sat through the, pr as well as you, Chair Com, there are areas that we can move through, I think, more quickly, and some areas that will n need more time. We will, what, how we have progressed in talking about the maps is we've taken the city from west to east. And so geographically, it kind of makes sense to move through the city. We would do the same at, at, 
at this juncture just for, for continuity's sake. Okay. So do, do, we, do you need kind of a, a direction from us now, or what, what do you recommend? Mm, I, I don't need a direction from you now. I do need to go back and talk to Matt. Okay. Um, and, you know, I do need to think through a little bit of, um, because we did tell the city council this is what we were going to be doing, and have, we've messaged this out to the community. So we'll have to pivot a little bit about how, how we do that. Again, this wasn't in the intent to um, rush anything, but to give the community certain of dates that this would be moving forward to Planning Commission City Council, and the intent was that the GPAC and public kind of feedback would get us to a consensus map for, for all of your consideration. Yeah, okay, and you can appreciate the fact GPAC has met 24 times or something. Uh, this might require more than one meeting for us, certainly. Okay, uh, Commissioner Zucker. Yeah, I just want to say, I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with that, that approach as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it, it makes sense if we, if we need to continue it to do it to a special meeting rather than, than to our September, uh, September meeting. And um, just, yeah, would love if I earlier noticed the better for just our own planning purposes and the public, you know, if we wanted to, like, hold a date that would be the potential overflow, you know, meeting, I think that would be really helpful in advance, even if we don't end up using it. Yeah, we'll go back and look at calendars. I, I just want to make sure um, other city dates for this room and other city meetings. Uh, I would hate to pick a date and then come back and say there's adjustment that needs to be made. So, um, yeah, let us go back and take a look at that a little bit closer. I appreciate the willingness to do a special meeting. There are about three or four items for the September meeting. So, um if you are comfortable meeting twice in September, that does help get some of these other initiative and projects moving forward. All right, very good. Um, with that, uh, any announcements? Um, I just, uh, this is probably a little bit out of procedure, and I apologize, Chair Conner, for not mentioning this, but I'd be remiss if I did not um, mention and acknowledge uh, Sandy Smith, who passed away over mm -hmm. the weekend. Yeah. Um, an impassioned fourth-generation citizen to our community. Uh, former community council member and a key member to establishing a lot of policy in our community. Mayor, business owner, visionary. Yeah, he will be missed. And I wanted to give kudos to you, uh, Estelle, for uh, being part of the committee that uh, brought the X Games to town because we had a big, there you go, we had a big fiesta this past week. Uh, 50,000 people uh, apparently attended and I went to one of the days. I thought it was very well run, very well attended. Uh, and hopefully we can keep it here uh, into the future because I think they had a good time. And the, I, I was over there uh, today, and they've already taken all of the concrete that they poured down, and the next step is the, the fair coming in. It's absolutely amazing. So uh, kudos to you. Thank, Thank you, you for all the work. If, if we could hire them to remove the sand at Bath, that might go. <laughs> we just need an event needing sand. Okay, with that, uh, we are adjourned. Thank you very much. Thank you, commissioners.